Well, hello and welcome to episode number 318 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's Grey Stuff special, we learn that the A-10 will continue flying until 2040. Uh, Royal Air Force Typhoons conduct exercises with the US B-1B Lancer and the first Osprey arrives in Japan. In the commercial news, um, some airlines announce their intentions to return to the skies. JetBlue's New York fly past draws criticism and the UK's quarantine scenario draws contempt from airline and crew circles. We also take a trip down memory lane as Nev uh, delivers back into the air show or delves back into the air show archives with some highlights of what's gone on in the last few years. So, I'm here in my own studio, but obviously back in the PTUK studios with everything that glistens and shines is, of course, Matt Smith. I'll I'll turn my microphone up, shall I? Hello, everyone. Uh, How are we? (laughs) How are we all? That went well. Uh, Good start. Um... (laughs) My word, Matt, that that is a rather uh, fetching uh, green screen background behind you Uh, this evening. Well, uh, it came from none other than the legend that is Jonathan Warner, who I notice is in the chat room. Oh, good, good, good. Nice to see you. Yeah, so uh, I believe it's an A10, is that correct? It is an A10. I remember those from back in the day, back in in the back in the day, from when uh, we used to have the... uh, Family Day air shows here at uh, the various Royal Air Force bases. Okay, what, what, what's an air show again? Just remind me. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I forget. <laughs> I, for, for me now, for me now, an air show is when I see a contrail and get flight radar twenty four and think, oh yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's all right. Those days will return. Don't worry. But I do have some good news before we move on, oh, and that is that uh, in the, the last uh, day, that uh, the restrictions on GA flying have been lifted slightly here in uh, in the UK. So there should be a little bit more GA flying uh, this weekend, hopefully, because the weather's quite good. So uh, I think some of our local flights or flight uh, centres in the, in the around, especially Seething, where we have our barbecue, are very happy happy about this yeah i bet i bet i mean it's it's uh i i, I suppose uh if you know i mean the, the, these these aircraft as long as you you know it's uh, the same person that you're living with etc etc i can't really see any harm in in doing it i suppose now especially as some of the restrictions have been lifted as you say yeah, they're, they're, they're allowing flights um, from the, the various sort of flight schools and stuff in, in, around East Anglia. And their only stipulation is um, that um, obviously the social distancing mm. rules are adhered to when you're, when you're flying yeah, GAs. Yeah, which so, is fair enough. Yeah, which is fair enough. Yeah. So, uh, this week we have no Neville Bounds. Unfortunately, Nev can't make it this week because he's too busy sampling some rather nice wines Quite. from across Europe. So, oh. he can't be with us this evening. <laughs> but we have obviously got with us uh, this week uh, one of our other great members of the team uh, joining us this week. As always, across the pond in Charlotte. It's, of course, the amazing Armando. Hey guys. Well, a couple of weeks ago, Matt surprised everybody saying that we we're going to do a military focused show. So I figured I should probably show up to yes. this one. We're since, very grateful. Thank you. It's in our contract. <laughs> it is, absolutely. Uh, Armando, where have you been? I know. I've actually been flying. It's uh, interesting. Uh, I've seen the passenger loads actually coming up. So both me commuting uh, up to my base, their airplanes are starting to. Eh, I wouldn't call it fill up, but the uh, airplanes are starting to have a little bit more people. The airlines are doing a great job. Uh, 
not filling in those middle seats, which we've all wanted for years and years and years anyways. Um, <laughs> but they're doing a, a really good job at keeping as much social distancing as they can. Uh, I'm flying some GA stuff myself. I've had the chance to take up two 182s for two different people. In the past week, I sent you guys some pictures yesterday from 8,000 feet. <laughs> I know. Uh, I tell you what, Western North Carolina was looking beautiful yesterday. The mountains were great. It was a nice, smooth day. Went up to 8,000 feet, and it was just fantastic. But uh, talking about GA flying, I'm glad that you guys have lifted up your your restrictions there in the UK because the the fine folks over at Skyward Flight Training over at Ruffham Airfield, uh, which have given us some great airplanes to fly with both Carlos and Matt. I've taken both of you up in that. I think the Arrow and the uh, what Carlos? We took up the 150, right? Uh, with the Piper, didn't we? We took the um, the low wing Piper up, didn't we? Oh yeah, yeah. The, yeah. We, we took up the the oh the ones the, archers, the archers. archers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm glad that they're back in business. That was uh, yeah, that was a great place to uh, social distance, anyways, because it's basically just a farm with a grass piece of strip that they call a runway. So. Good place to go social distancing. But uh, more important than what I've been doing is if you guys go to YouTube and you click the little three dots on the top right and you click pop out chat, what pops out is two people that are in our chat room, which is uh, Richard Bell and uh, Micah. So everybody click those three buttons and they'll pop out in your living room or in our case, <laughs> in our case, Somebody, they've just yeah. popped out on the chat. <laughs> Or on the uh, on the actual podcast today. So we have got we've got guests this week on the show. We've got some awesome guests this week on the show. So we're going to welcome our first guest onto the show. And this actually for me this week, uh, funnily enough, on my Facebook feed, there popped up. You know, one of those things where it says back, you know, this time back in three years or whatever ago, and you were doing this, that, and the other. And it was of a fantastic air show that back oh, in yeah. 2017 we went to. So we are going to welcome onto the show. The man who puts the air show into Pittsburgh it is, of course, <laughs> Rick Bell. Hi, guys. How are you? Thanks for having me on the show today. So it's uh, been way too long. I think the last time that we were actually together was... Um, I've, t- I've got a niggle that? in the back of my mind. That, uh, apparently, uh, well, I'm just being told in my ear that it was episode 187. 187, uh, but I think did we were together at uh, Farnborough last year, were we, we not? We were, yes. Yeah, you surprised us, didn't you? You just randomly turned up while we were having lunch. Uh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. So it was uh, my wife and I, our vacation over to uh, the UK, and yeah. uh, we took the day to come down there and go all uh, aviation for the day. So that was my part of the vacation. So hey, Rick, how, how are things with you? What's been uh, going on in the world of uh, Rick Bell? Uh, great, actually. Um, really, uh, well, it's been busy, um, working. Um, let's see. Uh, I don't know. Flying, working, flew a couple of days this week. Um, just, uh, kind of, uh, just living, uh, this new world that we're in right now. I, mm. It's been, uh, a little crazy, right? Um, you know, but hey, you know, it will eventually all pass and we'll be back together again. And um, this will just be another footnote in history. So, yeah. but uh, as for me, um, personally, uh, not a whole lot, just kind of uh, doing uh, the day to day. I need to ask Rick, do I need to start saving now for the next air show? I hope so. We're, we're, we're hoping that in the next couple of years, that's going to be coming down the road. Um, 
the yeah, uh, it looks like that things are almost going to be complete. And, um, you know, once we uh, finalize our transition, then um, that's going to be the next priority, right, is to reopen brand new and have everyone over. Oh, right, Matt, you heard that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've got two years yeah. to save up, basically. We've got, yeah. we got a few years to save. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. Sounds Excellent. Like a plan. No 757s for Matt. No, though. thank you. No, 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 no. <laughs> But funny turns may be promised if if we do that again. No, I, I think I think we'll we'll at least push the budget out. We'll get Matt and Overwing X at sea. I don't even know. Right, I don't know. What does that mean? Just to give you that extra <laughs> oh. four inches of legroom. Might okay. have to tap right. into the uh, PTUK coffers and get him the private jet experience <laughs> over. Yeah, you know yeah. the, the like next. The- like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. We get pilot Pip to fly us in, couldn't we? That would be the answer. We'll 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 get a safe jets. Uh, we'll we'll charter a safe jets, and off we go. Um, yeah, I, I we'll think just chart, we'll just chart your favourite jet, Matt. Well, you, you put me in a seven five seven. You can no, no, no. Do one. The, bo- uh, the bombardier. Oh, the bombardier. Oh, excellent. Yes, good <laughs> idea. Yes, absolutely. I don't know why you're saying it, funny Carlos. What's the matter with you? Um, there's. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Yeah, do you know what? Pittsburgh was my first trip to the States and I fell in love with the States off the back of the amazing hospitality we were shown by 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 rick and because we we apg were there as well weren't we and we had this amazing meetup in the evening it was just such an incredible experience it it was so much fun if not just for the corn dogs Uh, good point yes it was my first yes dr steph sort of took me to on a on a corn dog hunt um it was it was it was quite the experience he says choosing that his was your carefully. first corn dog i can't believe it yeah well they're not a thing here so i, <laughs> I you know I, I sort of, you know, I, the only time i'd ever heard them mentioned before before being in in the states was like a, a, an occasional side reference on the simpsons you know <laughs> exactly but no but uh, we are looking forward to that rick yeah. so uh, somebody that else who happen. was in pittsburgh by the way is also one of our guests Yes, joining us this week as well as a special guest. He's back on the show this uh, this week, and he's everyone's favourite main man. It is, of course, our main man, Uncle Micah. Hey, everyone. So nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. And, yeah, I was looking back at those Pittsburgh pictures as well, and what a great time that was. Oh, it, it was, was, wasn't it? fabulous yeah everybody together and and, you know we we, we missed a couple of people but it was just so wonderful to have ptuk and apg and the airplane geeks together max and david were there as well brian flew in it was just a wonderful time and you know what photos i looked at that really brought back some really heartwarming thoughts were believe it or not the photos of us with matt also having his very first ever wendy's Wendy's, yes absolutely (laughs) yeah that was the first thing we did wasn't it off we went it was a lot of firsts it has to be honest uh my first ever trip uh into the states my hopefully one and only trip on a 757 uh and a a little trip to wendy's yeah it's uh uh i am being told apparently there's something in the chat room sorry i'm 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 having a minor technical uh issue uh stay away oh charming that's not nice (laughs) but you know you don't have to worry about the 757 matt because as we'll talk about probably a little later in the show they're all being retired as are Uh... Other aircraft, so you'll never fly a seven five again. 
Oh, thank goodness for so, that. So, <laughs> oh, God, that brings tears to my eyes of sadness, I will say. So joining us, uh, everyone in the chat room this week, hello to you all on this Friday evening. It is, of course, the 15th of May. My word, it's soon be summertime at this rate. And uh, time is coming up to 12 minutes past seven. Welcome to everyone who's joined us in the chat room. Loads of the usual family members in the chat room this week. So thank you to all of you for joining us uh, in the chat room. So we've got loads to pack in this week in the show. Yeah, we? I, you, you, you see, the, tro- the trouble here is, mate, is you're, you're avoiding what I like to refer to as the elephant in the room. Oh, um, dear. <laughs> now, uh, one or two of the more eagle-eyed viewers, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, this will be, if not, then I- I'm sure Nev will very kindly make it available uh, on our YouTube channel. Uh, some of you may have noticed that, the- that Carlos's hair is a little bit more unusual uh, than-, than the norm, shall we say. Uh, are you going to tell them, or shall I? Um, so as most of you will probably know <clears throat> in the PTUK world i've been doing a thing called a live disco kitchen disco every week from our kitchen here <laughs> and uh, shameless plug our producer last, was saying it already. i know shameless plug <laughs> thank you yeah i know shameless plug tomorrow night 7 p.m uh, broadcast via twitch All right, okay. um, so um so last week me being really silly said that uh, i'll tell you what we'll do next week i'll dye my hair blonde and there were so many people in the chat room during the live stream of the disco that said yes, but I kind of had to go ahead with it. Indeed. Now, so, so Gemma was in charge of this particular um, uh, conversion, shall we say, to, to what is now. I mean, you, you, many could argue that you're, you know, growing old um, disgracefully, perhaps, by doing so. So uh, explain to me why why the blonde hair is it was it, was it a nod to vanilla ice because you're doing your nineties disco thing on on oh on blonde, I, I think it possibly could have been a nod to that kind of thing the nineties era <laughs> you know back when back when I was a lot younger than when I am that, that I am now back when I was a lot younger I did have blonde highlights but I never went fully, fully blonde blonde. Yeah. So we're busy um, watching. For those of you listening to the audio version of the show, we're we're currently watching a little video of Gemma uh, literally doing doing the deed here. It's I must say, has she done this before? Because she was very professional. For anyone who has ever bleached their hair, <laughs> it hurts like an absolute family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show, family gentlemen. Show. <laughs> family show. And I had to go through this process not once. But twice. Right, yes, because it went a bit ginger first time, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so uh, uh, here we go. So, as I say, he's, okay. he's in the cooking stage now. And any moment now, we're about to get a little bit of a flash here. Uh, here we go. Here we go. Uh, there's... Uh, there we go. There it is. That that's what it was. <laughs> uh, yeah, nice try. Okay, take off the hat. Thank you. The big rivet. Wow. Gosh, that that there we is go, a, everyone. That uh, is <laughs> that is a look, isn't it? It's um. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interestingly enough, in the chat room here, Lena's saying, I painted my living room that exact same colour. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I still have hair, which is, is a bonus. A, a, you know, it didn't fall out. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. So, I mean, so I think it's safe to say, mate, that lockdown is getting to you a bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, Rick, I think, I think Micah, Micah and I are both jealous of your haircut. Yeah, I'm not have the same haircut. <laughs> I, I can I can literally see Rick Bell looking now, thinking, "Oh, should I get this done?" No, I don't should think I so. This no, done? I don't think so. Should I get this done? <laughs> I don't. I, I don't think Rick's commander would 
really take well to that. No. <laughs> right. Okay. I, am, I am being threatened with getting my head shaved. Luckily, the state has finally opened its barber shops, and I'm getting my hair cut on Sunday. <laughs> we're, we're actually very jealous of that, it has to be said. I mean, every single one of us in here, including our producer, uh, with, uh, have got hair longer than we've ever had in our lives as a result of all this. So it's just. So like, if you'd like yeah. to see Rick Bell... Blah, uh, no, uh, no, his hair no, 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 absolutely not. No. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm we... just going to do the tips. Right. Okay. Yeah. Highlights. <laughs> highlights. Highlights. Really. Okay. Highlights. Yes. Uh, right. Uh, we need to move on, guys. Uh, sorry. Uh, for, sorry for that little interjection. I know it was my fault. I know. But, Th- uh, yeah. Thanks for that. Always uh, a pleasure. A big, never at all. And a big thanks to uh, to Nev for uh, for putting that together. Very kind <laughs> of you, Nev. Much yeah. love to Nev. Yes. So we're going to start the show then, as we do each week no, with our rundown. As we don't of the military <laughs> news uh, from around the world and the UK. So uh, if you're ready, Armando. Yeah, as uh, as you guys say over there, let's not faff about. We've got two fantastic <laughs> guests. Let's do it. guys so this first story is going to be actually brought to you by main man micah well this is one of my favorite things to hear i'm a big fan of the a10 warthog and there was uh, recently on april 17th it was announced that the a10 will remain in the fleet through the 2040s despite planned cuts now the air force's future close air support portfolio will include seven squadrons of a10s into the 2040s along with light attack aircraft in partnership with some countries but these efforts will be distinct from the special operations command that we'll talk about more later the A-10 remains a very cost-effective way to get close air support. The USAF figures into the service's long-term plans, said Lieutenant General David Nahum, Deputy Chief of Staff for Plans and Programs during the AFA, Mitchell Institute Telecon. Quote, there is no more efficient platform in a low-end fight, unquote, than the A-10. And that includes propeller-driven light attack platforms and However, he said, the A-10 is not equipped to survive in highly defended airspace where the F-35 and other aircraft were handled the CAS mission, he noted. Now, that's interesting, and I'm going to comment on that, because they're always saying the Air Force is a long history to this. The Air Force has been trying to retire the A-10 for years and years and years. They hate it. And the reason the Air Force hates it is because it's an attack aircraft. It's designed for close air support and ground attack, and the Air Force can't stand close air support and ground attack, and only took on the mission back when the Air Force was formed during the 1948 Key West Agreement. Because the Army wanted to do its own close air support and ground attack, the Air Force was at that point a division of the Army that had just split off, no longer being part of the Army Air Corps. And said, no, 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 we're going to handle everything in the air, and we'll take care of your close air support and ground attack. But then the Air Force started buying fighters, and major fighters, supersonic fighters. The Air Force was into, air Force was into bombing. That's what they wanted to do, and they wanted to do air-to-air fighting. Close air support isn't really very special. It's not really uh, very dramatic for them. So they got rid- there's been no... At ground attack or designate a designated aircraft in the Air Force 
since there was the A-1 Sky Raider that came out of World War II. There was the A-7 Corsair that was a development of the F-8 that the Air Force took on a little bit, but didn't really fly uh, that much and wasn't really designed to go low and slow. Then the Army realized they weren't getting the close air support that they needed, and along around the late 1960s, they started to develop the Cheyenne Helicopter which was an amazing aircraft. It was a helicopter that had not just a helicopter blade and not just a tail rotor, but had a pusher propeller to give it speed. But it also had little winglets on it so that it could fly much faster than a normal helicopter, and it got lift from those wings. And the Air Force said, no, 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 no. The 1948 Key West Agreement says you can't have winged aircraft. You can only have rotor aircraft, so you can't have that. We'll develop our own close air support aircraft for you. And that's when the A-10 came about. It went into service in 1972. They built a bunch of them. Fairchild went out of business. They destroyed the forms. They can't make them anymore. And ever since then, the Air Force has been trying to get rid of them. It's the only aircraft in the Air Force inventory that can go low and slow and linger longer over a battlefield and provide the close air support that's necessary to ground troops. The Air Force doesn't want it. Congress has continually said, no, you need to keep it and force them to keep it. And now they finally decided they're going to keep it until at least the 2040s. And if you notice still, there's nothing in the pipeline to replace it. There's nothing that still goes low and slow that can take ground hits. That general said it's not designed to survive um, with a major ground attack coming onto it. But it is. The pilot... So, so why don't they like it? I mean, what is it, what is it they have against it? Because, I mean, in, in lots of ways it sounds like it ticks, ticks many boxes, if you like, because it's sort of low and slow, you can use it for ground attack, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, what is it that they don't like? It's not sexy. Oh. That's really what it is. Okay. It's exactly, you know, I am, I am still a representative of the United States Air Force being retired, but I was going to choose the exact same words that Micah did, which is, it's not sexy. Right now, I mean, so now, I mean, I, I have to say, I, 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 the only reason I'm so curious because actually, I mean, the photograph that uh, we have here in our show notes that I, I'm sort of sharing with people here, uh, I, I mean, that looks. I don't know whether it's just because of the sheer like the, the shadows and stuff. I mean, it looks a really nice aircraft. Um, I, I feel, but well, it's a great airplane. Uh, however, so so I will offer this, uh, Rick, and feel free to chime in here. Most of my 20 years was spent in joint environments. So I was working uh, mostly in special operations command where we, we were working very much with the army and the Navy and the Marines, everybody working together. And in a joint environment, the A-10 is a, is a rock star, right? The army loves it. Like Micah's saying, uh, the Navy ground operators loved it. It's just a, you, there, there's just no airplane that can replace the A-10 at least right now. Mm. So in the joint environment, the A-10 is top of the pile. I mean, it is a rock star aircraft. And, and when you're listening to the actual communications of the guys on the ground, getting their butts uh, saved by an A-10 coming out, uh, coming down from, you know, 20,000 feet straight down to the ground, shooting that 50 cal and laying down some suppressive fire, there is nothing like that. And the joint guys love it, but it's just, it's just not in that that F-22, F-35, F-16, you know, and all you have to do, and this is not a criticism by any means, and it's just an opinion, but if you just look at the leadership in the United States Air Force, by and large, there are fighter guys. 
Right. The guys that make it up to the three and four star level are, are by and large fighter guys. Um, so, uh, you know, but, but we'll talk about it a little bit later with, with SOCOM and this ongoing light attack experiment. But like, like, like uh, the general said, you know, uh, General Nahum said, it, it, there's just no replacing the A-10. So I'm glad to see that they're keeping it flying for the next couple of years. Uh, Jonathan Warner agrees with me a little bit. He says, I don't know, it's one of the meanest looking planes still flying. I mean, I mean is, is it something that can be used? Uh, can it be used like, obviously, you'd take off on the ground, but I mean, can it be used on car- you know, aircraft carriers and things like that? No, it's it's an Air Force aircraft. It only takes it only flies from the ground from one ground base to another. It's designed to take hits. And and Armando mentioned that it had a 50 caliber machine gun. It doesn't. They designed a gun and then they built the airplane around it. <laughs> and it's it's an it's a gun that it's seriously it's it's a 30 by 173 millimeter gauge Avenger auto cannon. It fires depleted uranium rounds. It was designed to go through tanks, and that gun fires a about 65 to 70 rounds a second. Wow. Okay. And so d- yeah, that's, any- that's what we knew of it. That's what we, that's what we used to call it here in the UK. It was a tank buster. That's what really? We, okay. Yeah, but, I mean, so it, does, yeah. does anybody else use it or is it literally only used by the, by the U S air force? Only by the United States. So, so yep. no, Oh, rubbish. We yeah. had, well, we had, <laughs> we had quite a few based here. We had quite a few based here in the nineties. Right. To America. Armando's, to Armando's point, um, <sighs> You know, this is really all policy is really where we come into this, right? I mean, um, wings are really expensive, and the airplane needed wings, right? And uh, the Air Force also needed money for bigger and better projects. And, you know, what is the what is the um, point of the day or what is the talking point of the day right now is that is communication on the battlefield, really. And um, the A-10 just, you know, it it – in recent history, it's been updated and updated and updated, but, um, you know, you, you throw your eggs in the basket, you know, the F-35, right, is the, the joint strike fighter and, and that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> but uh, really, when push comes to shove, um, it's really good at what it does. And yeah. um, Actually, and, really- uh, sorry, Nick, Nick Anderson is, is uh, Cap- Captain Nick is saying something similar. He's saying, done plenty of a film, next best thing to combat, and they could literally turn on a sixpence, uh, but they never went anywhere. And, yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, the, the, the flavor has always been um, what can an aircraft do? What is the multi-tool, right, um, justifying its job by doing more than one thing and getting the biggest bang for your buck? And, unfortunately, the A-10 is really good at one thing. Now, uh, that thing is incredibly important. It's incredibly important to the 18, 19 year old on the ground in the trenches when push comes to shove. Um, these guys are great at it. And their whole job is to be the support for that 18, 19 year old on the ground and in the dirt when everything is going wrong. Um, and you could hear it. I mean, you can hear these stories on the uh, or uh, the the YouTube videos and everything. Uh, when these guys are talking, uh, they they talk a whole different language than um, the 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 Air Force pilot. They need to talk like a army grunt or a marine or a, you know a, a seaman. Um, they they're on a different level and they have their own language, just like we all do mm. in aviation, but. Um, and these guys are great at it, and it's great to see. It's great to see that this 
airplane is uh, going to see a mm. longer life. It got new wings. It's uh, getting those upgrades in the avionics, and uh, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's actually. It's, I'm, I'm lucky in the in the job that I currently do. A lot of our storage facility sites that we visit are on RF Bentwaters, which was where the A10 was based. Um, well, that was based there until 19. 19- 1993, I think, 94, 93, they were based in the UK here. So I get to go on the site where the A-10s were based. The hangs are all still there. Um, but um, I, I can still remember going to the Bentwaters family open days when the, the US Air Force and the um, local um, emergency services used to have a, an open day. And I went there as a child many times and, and uh, saw the A-10 close up. And, uh, yeah, some really good memories of that uh, aircraft. Uh, I, I'm... Go on, sorry. I was going to say that the thing about it, too, is that, you know, in, uh, in Afghanistan, for example, the A-10 can reach the altitude the helicopter attack ships can't. Yeah. And uh, Afghanistan is a high country. Uh, and the fact is that ground attack is always something that's going to be necessary because they say that, you know, infantry is the, uh, is the queen of battle. And, uh, and there's always going to be guys on the ground. So you really do need to have a dedicated aircraft that can support that. And uh, hopefully one day, you know, they're, they're saying the F-35, it's the, the, the do-everything aircraft. There is no do-everything aircraft. Yeah, it can do a little bit of everything, but it can't do all of it well. Nice. They need a ground attack aircraft, and hopefully one day they'll develop another attack aircraft. Well, I, b- before we move on, I think there's, uh, we should, uh, we've got a couple of comments in the chat room, which I think we should bring out. The first one is uh, from the legend that is Nev. He says, I always thought the A-10 was the road from London to Cambridge. I think he's got a point there. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was uh, uh, Nick again is, is, is saying that I think the guys on the front lines loved the A-10, uh, but it was cheap and cheerful. John Boyd uh, would have approved, but many wanted a vastly more expensive program. Um, it's, uh, now, you've got quite a lot of love for the, the A-10, haven't you, Armando? I do, and it and it's mostly because of that joint environment. I I used to work in the um, armed Overwatch program. Actually, before it was sort of called that, that that was the mission that I mostly flew before I was on the Osprey. And uh, there, like just like Rick is saying, I mean, when you're there and you and you have a team that's on the ground, and they're going out and they're the face of an entire effort not a conflict but they're that these young 18 and 19 year olds and 23 year old captains um there's there's a great uh, there's two great movies leather uh, camp leatherneck and then restrepo and uh the, the movie restrepo shows exactly how hard it is to be on the ground in a place like afghanistan and this young captain in the movie restrepo is out there and he is he has to be the shoulder to cry on for his troops he has to be the disciplinarian. He has to be the face of America. It, and, and, and he's basically the Department of State senior representative, even though that's not his job, in, in his little section of Afghanistan, which in that case was the Korangal Valley. And when those guys get into trouble, you need something to go cover them, whether that's an Apache, a Kiowa, uh, a Cobra, a an A-10, which like Micah's saying, you have 13,000, 14,000 foot peaks in Afghanistan. You need something that needs that get needs to get to them quick and lay down some fire and show the other guys that we're not messing around and that they better back down. And the A-10 is just, I, I would listen to these guys on the radios as I'm trying to provide them targeting information uh, 
just the the relief in their voice when they would hear the A10 coming down with those with those big engines and that and that and that Gatling gun uh, laying down some fire. It was just uh, th- there's just nothing like it. Now that's not to say that an F15 doesn't provide that. It does. Uh, if you're on the if you're on the ground and you're in a troops in contact situation, yeah, you'll take anything, right? You'll take an F16. You'll take a you'll take a, a Cessna 152 if it can drop flower bombs on the enemy. And but but the A10 is just a, a fantastic airplane that is able to to like the old Samsonite commercials. Uh, what what is it? Take a lick and keep on ticking. <laughs> that was Timex. Yeah, Timex. And, yeah, and, <laughs> and that's what it's designed for. You know, it, it's designed so it can. It, it, so many of them will come back with half a tail, half with one engine. They're designed to come take hits and, and go. And there's just nothing else that can uh, go that low and slow and uh, and linger longer over the battlefield. It can just hang out for a long time because. It does go slow, and it's very fuel efficient. And if you've ever heard one, well, if you hear the gun, that's amazing. But even the engines have a unique sound to them. They really kind of growl. So Beautiful. I, John's just sent me a, a, a link, actually, to a film. Was it Rest Repo uh, in twenty? Yeah, that's, Re- that's Restrepo, the, the movie I was just talking yeah. about. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, yeah, it's a, we'll put the links in the show notes. Uh, it's a wonderful movie. It's a documentary. There is no drama no, there's no added drama into that movie. It is mm. absolutely the the best uh, documentation of what it's like on the ground in a conflict like Afghanistan. Wow. Um, okay. Which which not, it's not just us. It's you know, yeah. it, it's Everyone. all of the nations that participate in 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 operations around the around the world. Um, it, it is the the face of one nation against another nation. Um, uh, wow. Just a wonderful movie. Go yeah. go watch it. Yeah. Okay. Well, so we'll make sure the links are, are in the show notes uh, for that one. Um, we should probably move on to the next story then, if that's all right. Yeah, let's do it. So this next one, uh, I think Major Rick is going to bring to us. Ooh. Yep, that's right. So this next uh, story comes from the Air Force Times, and it is entitled Lake and Heath F-15s Deploy to Ascent. The Air Force said Wednesday that F-15 fighters from RAF Lakenheath in England have deployed to Southwest Asia. In a tweet, U.S. Air Force and Europe Air Forces Africa said that the Mighty Bowlers, the nickname for the 492nd Fighter Squadron, part of the Lakenheath 48th Fighter Wing, have deployed to U.S. Air Force Central Command Area of Responsibility. That's a 20-nation swath of territory ranging from Egypt east to Kazakhstan and includes Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, and Syria. <clears throat> the Air Force did not say exactly where the 492nd has deployed, aside from saying it was to support the 332nd Air Expeditionary Wing, nor did they say how many fighters were being deployed. Officials did not immediately respond to requests for comment. The 332nd Air Expeditionary Wing called for some air power, and the F-15s from RAF Lake and Heath answered the call. You it safe said in a tweet. Yeah, this is uh, fantastic. Um, you know, it's surprising to me because uh, USAFE or uh, United States Air Forces in uh, Europe, um, usually they have their own mission in, in uh, what they do. They're uh, designed to... Um, they're there to uh, protect Europe and to be uh, part of the NATO partners in Europe. Um, so to say that uh, they're going down to AFCENT or Air Force Central Command, as we call it, um, is uh, 
great. It's interesting. Um, you know, get these guys some experience. I, I don't know really what the, uh, the reasonings for are, but, um, Hey, it's uh, sounds like this is going to be a, a good thing for these guys to get into the fight. Yeah. And, and you know, Rick, as we were talking before the show, uh, there, there may be, you, you know, that is a strategic fight. So that's a big chess game that, that you safety is playing um, in Europe, the European security initiative. So this may be one of those things where, Hey, our guys need to go get some uh, time sensitive tactical combat experience. And, uh, I can only imagine in some boardroom back in Washington, D.C., somebody said, hey, we need to get these F-15s, some actual combat experience, and then bring them back home. So I, I don't know that for sure, but but that's uh, my little crystal ball is, is probably. <laughs> yeah, at that level, I mean, you know, who knows what the combatant commanders are, you know, requesting. Um, you know, there's all sorts of things that uh, the combatant command um, is thinking about that's well above um, any of our pay grades, as we always say, um, but, um, you know, uh, to get these guys there to, uh, get experience, whether that is, but I mean, these guys are so highly trained. Um, you know, this is just, uh, you know, this is, uh, just, uh, what they're trained to do. This is what they signed up for. So good on them. And, uh, you know, I wish them luck and, uh, much success and happy hunting. So, so yeah. this, it's been mentioned in, in, in this article, obviously, that they're, they're going out somewhere. But uh, you've also got another story, Rick, uh, where they, they sort of had a bit of an issue. Yeah, oops. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, not an oops, but it could be. Uh, we don't know. But uh, this is from the Popular Mechanics website, and uh, this is uh, just recently uh, written 5 May 2020. A malfunctioning F-15 Eagle comes in for a belly landing. Uh, an F-15C Eagle fighter assigned to protect the airspace over the President of the United States experienced a landing gear malfunction on Friday. The fighter jet's landing wheels landing wheels failed to lower, forcing the pilot to make a belly landing, quotation. Uh, there were no injuries reported. The incident took place on Saturday, May the 2nd, in the skies over Washington, D.C. area. The jet, part of the 140 second fighter wing of the Oregon Air National Guard was carrying out a homeland defense mission as part of the Operation Noble Eagle. Noble Eagle is designed to protect U.S. airspace to prevent another 9-11 style hijacker uh, airliner attack. Uh, the Air Force Airman NCO, uh, Senior NCO page on Facebook published a long distance photo of the jet. The Air Force appears to be, or the aircraft, excuse me, appears to be sitting on the ground. Landing gear retracted. The F-15C's nose uh, nose cone also appears to be missing with the front of the aircraft flat. If that's true, that would expose the Eagle's APG 63-3 advanced electronic scanned array radar to the elements and damage. Uh, the APG 63-V3 is a relatively new radar upgrade installed in the 30-plus-year-old F-15Cs designated to give the fighter a powerful detecting edge in the air. Uh, the Airman NCO and Senior NCO page received the following photo as well as a note from the source that uh, at the base uh, a few hours ago, I witnessed two jets flying in for what looked like a landing tail tailing jet was in close, but slightly higher out altitude. I looked away for a moment. When I looked back, there is a large cloud of pitch black smoke and another cloud in the dirt. Uh, these guys never fly single ship. They always fly in pairs. So that was definitely his wingman. 
The fighter made an emergency landing at Joint Base Andrews Naval Air Facility Washington, located in Maryland, according to Defense News. The fighter was providing top cover for Camp David, the presidential retreat in Maryland. The F-15C used tricycle-style landing gear system with one wheel up front and uh, under the cockpit and two wheels under the rear of the fuselage. The landing gear system is electronically controlled and hydraulically operated. The aircraft also has speed brakes, see on top from the photo, and a large rectangular panel located behind the cockpit designed to slow the plane down, but it does not appear to have been deployed. The incident occurred less than a month after a similar incident involving an A-10 Warthog at Moody Air Force Base, Georgia. Um, yeah, I, you know, it happens. I think uh, the worst part about this is that, you know, um, the there you know things happen malfunctions happen i was uh, just flying the other day and we had a malfunction that um well we came back to pittsburgh uh luckily with all uh let's see 6 7 8 9 10 11 12 13 14 wheels underneath us well done but <laughs> um i had to count that uh but um yeah it does happen from time to time so um I'm sure that in this instance, uh, the aircraft will be back flying again shortly. This really isn't too big of a deal. Um, you know, they'll probably do some level of investigation depending on the cost of the damage. And um, eventually they'll probably, they'll take it, they'll uh, lift it up, crane it up, they'll get the wheels underneath it and they'll taxi it to the hangar and they'll probably patch up the skin that uh, got scraped away and uh, she'll be flying back again in no time so, so, um, so th- th- something like this is, is not a write-off as far as the 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 aircraft is concerned then i wouldn't imagine so uh it's you know these it, it these things happen um you know there is some level of design into these that uh allows um for this kind of thing to occur um I would imagine that this airplane will be flying again in a few months. So depending now the nose uh, popping off of the front of it. Uh, so, I mean, had, maybe, had, that, had that been removed? Cause it, it just seemed so clean. It looked like it had almost been removed. I didn't know if it was something that, you know, had been done once it had, you know, that's also a very good point. Uh, that could be a lot of these aircraft. Uh, they do have lift points. They do have um, jacking points and yeah. lift points. Um, you know, it could be that uh, the aircraft, uh, the lift point for the aircraft is underneath behind the nose or something like that. So they just remove the yeah. radome to pull all the stuff out of there so that they can get the airplane jacked up yeah. and, just, uh, and get just, it to the hangar. There's no sign of it. As I said, looking at all of the, there was a, unfortunately, the quality of the, the wide shot, if you like, wasn't good enough for, for us to put up. But uh, it was looking at the wide shot. Nowhere could I see the nose cone. It, looked, it was like it was completely missing. So it sort of rather suggested yeah. it had been taken off rather than, you know. The airplanes, these airplanes are not built like your average automobile. There is no crumple zone in in them. So, (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, if it's clean off, um, well, maybe they took it off and they took it away. uh, Or maybe it's sitting back um, down the runway somewhere and they just haven't gone to go collect it yet. Yeah, a a big difference is usually the radomes or the nose cones are made out of carbon fiber and the or some kind of composite material. And the rest of the skin is, is metals. So... If if it hits a, you know, good chunky bush or the dirt or something like that, the carbon, the composite material is going to probably uh, break off quicker than than some of the metal material. Wow. Okay. And 
And uh, kind of like Rick was saying, I, I know uh, a couple of people had sent us some links for, I believe it was an F-35 or an F-22. Mm. Uh, somebody correct me. Uh, 22 this morning that uh, had a mishap at Eglin Air Force Base. So that's still sort of a developing thing and we'll um, figure <laughs> I love yeah. our chat room. Um, yeah. yeah, we'll figure out what happened in that mishap and probably talk about it next week. Quite, yeah. So, so yes, yeah, wait for a bit more new info on that before we, we, we sort of run it, I guess. Um, yeah, okay. So uh, on to the next story. Someone? <laughs> Would you like me to take it? I'll yeah, go on then. Yeah, sorry. All right. Yeah. The RAF Typhoons conduct exercises with a US B-1B Lancer or B-1 Bone. The Royal Royal Air Force, the RAF, Lossiemouth-based uh, Lossy Typhoon fighters aircraft have conducted a training sortie with a US B-1B Bone. Actually, technically the Lancer, but everybody calls it the Bone, like the F-16 is the Viper. Anyway, they did that over the North Sea. It was a long-range, nonstop training sortie that was conducted by the U.S. B-1 Lancer bomber from the U.S. to and from mainland Europe. During the flight, the U.S. bomber, uh, the US bomber over the North Sea was escorted by typhoons from 1F Squadron. It performed air-to-air refueling prior to its return to the U.S. across the Atlantic. The U.S. Marine Corps exchanged officer with 1F Squadron Typhoon uh, pilot Major Newt L. Campbell said, It was fantastic for 1F Squadron to escort the B-1B Lancer through U.K. airspace after its mission in the Baltic region. The training sortie was part of regular training activities carried out by the RAF with U.S. Air Force and NATO allies. Part of the 28th Bombing Wing based in Ellsworth Air Force Base in South Dakota, the B-1B was refueled by a KC-135 straddle tanker from the 100th Air Refueling Wing that's based in Mildenhall, Suffolk. Additionally, the U.S. sortie included integration and interoper- interoperability training with Polish F-16s and MiG-29s. It joined the B-1B to overfly Warsaw, Poland, which was followed by escorting a bomber in an overflight of Latvia and Lithuania. Once completed, the Polish fighters were handed over to Danish F-16s to fly over Bornholm Island, Denmark, before the RAF typhoons picked up the U.S. bomber. Uh, Joint Force Air Component Headquarters Director Group Captain Roger Elliott said, these flying machines illustrate that the RAF is all about opportunities for the RAF to work together with our NATO allies, developing our understanding of each other's operating procedures and capabilities. By operating alongside the USAF, we demonstrate our capabilities, flexibility, and our commitment to NATO. Wow. Okay. Now I've got so many. I've got uh, several st- uh, questions to to do with this. Uh, one of them actually was, I think, from you, Carlos, wasn't it? Um, with uh, in regard to this, uh, the, the the role of the typhoons. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, sorry, it wasn't. It wasn't. Oh, anyway, so what is the role of the typhoons in this exercise? Why does uh, a bomber need an escort? Uh, well, you know, so the bombers especially the B-1 bomber, is really great at uh, going in fast and low. Uh, But that is not without some preparation of the environment. So sometimes you need the fighters to either provide some top cover or to go in ahead of that uh, bomber to either destroy or suppress enemy air defenses. Um, now, the, the, 
when when they do exercises like this, it's not necessary. You don't you're not exercising the full portfolio of all of that. Sometimes you're just making sure that your radios work together, right? Yeah, you know, and yeah. that and that your terminology is uh, compatible. But it it takes so much to conduct any mission, and this is a great example. So it takes tankers to refuel the bombers. It takes fighters to escort the bombers. And it probably takes some, uh, at least in a conflict environment, it would take some unmanned assets to go uh, lay down the threat picture for the bombers to go in and the fighters to go in. So very rarely is any operation, and I think we saw that a couple years ago with the uh, Syrian airstrikes where uh, the tail watchers were actually ahead of everything because they could see all of this flood of different assets going in. There were French fighters, American tankers, uh, you know, Italian surveillance platforms. And it, and it was sort of a, a, an indication that something was about to happen, but very rarely is it just like you see in the movies where it's like, just like a B2 going, going in behind enemy lines and dropping some bombs. There, there's, there's usually, uh, a multitude of aircraft that makes any one operation happen. Okay. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Armando. I mean, you know, this is the reason why we have NATO, right? Uh, this is uh, USAFE at its finest. Um, that uh, you know, we are one. We are one Air Force. Um, you know, we are one. We are we are international partners, and we are committed to a mission. And uh, we need to practice that mission. And this is one of those ways that uh, we get to practice this mission is um, you know through what Armando was talking about. And those are the strike packages. And, you know, sometimes you, you just need to practice a a strike package and um, uh, you know, it, it doesn't have to be all USAF aircraft. Um, It's going to be our, uh, the partners and uh, they all need to exercise their part. And uh, this is just one of those opportunities that uh, they can do that. So I mean, and the other thing, go on. the other thing you have to remember is that the uh, the B one uh, was designed in the late '60s, and it was originally the B one A was supposed to be supersonic at more than Mach two, and then the uh, Jimmy Carter administration came in and said we don't need that, and at that time they were also starting to develop the B two, the stealth bomber. So they came up with the B one B, which is supersonic. It just gets over Mach one, but it was designed to go in low. And think about it. Think about slow bombers and think about what, what Captain Nick used to do, intercepting the Russian bear bombers. Bomber comes over, you know, uh, the U.K., and what did Captain Nick do? He'd get in the F-4 and he'd intercept it because he was going to shoot it down if it was going to be a problem. <laughs> and if one of our bombers goes over a target that has, you know, uh, air defense, uh, then they're going to come and shoot it down. So, yeah, they do need uh, uh, fighters on their wing to take on other fighters, uh, those interceptor fighters, the only time you see them going in on their own kind of thing is, you know, when you're in some place with no defense, like, you know, what we did in Iraq. Um, and mm. it wasn't really anything. It wasn't any air defense there to, to, uh, to knock us down. So, anyway. so it's just, it's just, it's just me that thinks that when, when rock, uh, North American Rockwell designed this aircraft back in was the early, early seventies, you know, normally people sort of think of a bomber as being some ugly, big, fat mm. aircraft yeah. that looks pretty boring and just rubbish. But when they designed this aircraft, the B-1 Lancer, you know, it looks bloody awesome. I have to say, you know, when you look at a bomber and you look at the B-1 Lancer, this aircraft is really, it, it looks sexy. 
Yeah. aircraft. Yeah. Yeah. And you could apply that to a lot of 80s aircraft. You know, the F-117, the B-1, the B-2 were all sort of designed and really implemented in the 80s. Maybe there were some early prototypes, but that we, the 80s produced some really sexy airplanes. Yeah. Definitely, 100%. This aircraft looks amazing. So everybody knows I've got a bit of a thing about this refueling. And as I say, uh, uh, previous episodes, uh, I've spoken to Captain (laughs) Nick about this before. But uh, so, uh, I mean, there was, I think think it was uh, episode 313, one of the military stories um, that was saying about Boeing were having to rip out and replace the the KC-46 sensors and camera systems, um, you know, basically at at their own expense. So obviously one of these exercises is about refueling. so how does how does the refueling in this scenario differ t- to what they're trying to develop for the the very troubled KC forty six? I you know the KC forty six is a whole other thing. The, the KC one thirty five has a guy in the back, if not two people sitting or laying on their bellies. Um, so it's it's uh, it's an old proven system that goes back to the fifties. Oh wow! Uh, okay. Yeah, they they I think it was the. Uh, what was the the four engine? The oh my gosh, the it was a K, K, a KC thirty six, I think. Right, it, there was a KC thirty six back in the fifties that was developed, um, at, which was, was that which a KC fifty based on a B twenty nine. I can't remember. Yeah, it was like a two level bubble looking B twenty nine. Yeah, so you know, you guys know what I'm talking about. But it, I mean, the the whole idea of flying the boom from the back with a with a boomer. Uh, is just a, a tried and proven technology that that doesn't doesn't fail, and um, the KC one thirty five has that boomer in the back. And we've talked about the the probe and drogue method, which is what uh, the Navy uses and what the RAF uh, uses for refueling. But uh, this is a uh, uh, an extension boom, and I'm curious. You know, Rick, you take on fuel from that all the time. What's it like? Flying into uh, a situation like that and being the uh, the pilot in command when the boom operator is actually approaching you. You're just flying in formation. You know, I've never actually fueled behind the KC-46 yet. Um, I've only, uh, we have our, you know, publications that tell us what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to fly the uh, boom behind, you know, our different aircraft. There's a couple of different documents that, that talk about that. Um, I've never been behind it, um, but I have... Um, You've done a KC-135, though, haven't you? I've done a KC-135, yep. I've done a KC-135, and I've done a KC-10. So the KC-135 is – the boom is very light. Um, You know, the pressures on the boom, so we're talking, you know, hydraulically controlled. uh, The PSI of the boom is very light. So – you know, you can, you get behind there. Now it is a little difficult to get behind. Um, the, the bow wave of the aircraft of my aircraft has a tendency of lifting the tail of the KC-135. So, um, you have to be very careful with how you approach and come up to the back of the airplane. Uh, you can, uh, if you come up too close, um, you can, uh, get blown through the front, in which case now you are under the aircraft, which is a really bad thing. Uh, or you actually get blown through the front, which is even worse because now you're dragging a, you know, so on how many feet, 40, 50 foot tail behind you. So 
uh, it uh, takes a little finesse. Um, you know, larger aircraft are more difficult to, to refuel, to aerial refuel, uh, because of that inertia, right, and uh, the size of flight controls and things like that, too. So it uh, just takes a little uh, finesse and touch. But back to the boom, um, you know, having a boom operator behind you and actually controlling that boom, looking through a window, um, you don't get the issues which are associated with the KC-46, and that's with glint and sun glare off of the camera. So uh, the other thing is, is that they're also using, um, what would I guess be 3D glasses, I think. I don't know. I, I've, I've actually, I, I've only heard of these, you know, this whole thing. But uh, so, you know, the sun glare associated with um, having these glasses and then the uh, issues with the cameras. And um, I think it makes things a little bit difficult for these guys. Uh, the other issue is, is that the uh, pressures on that boom, and going back to what I said before, the, uh, they, it's a very strong boom uh, to the point where it can move some aircraft around. Um, you know, especially the lighter aircraft. So uh, you just need to be aware. I had a buddy of mine that uh, just recently flew against the KC-46, and he said that um, when they finally disconnected, it was very noticeable that he was carrying a little extra power than he should have, and um, it, uh, it kind of took him forward of the envelope before he realized it. So that boom... And that airplane um, has some strength to it, and it will uh, hold aircraft in position. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great aircraft. It's a great concept. Um, you know, I uh, would like, like to see the issues finally resolved. I don't want to open that can of worms, I think, in this conversation. Um, I, have, I will also reserve my opinions on... Um, the current status of the manufacturer and uh, the uh, <laughs> current aircraft uh, for another conversation. But as it stands right now, it's, um, you know, um, it's coming along, you know, and uh, this is one of those opportunities for everyone to be able to, um, you know, get used to the new aircraft, I think. Very good. And Armando was talking about, uh, Jonathan corrected us, it was a KC-97, which was based on the C-97 Globemaster, was that old four-engine tanker. And before that, I was talking about the KB-50, which was based on the B-50 bomber that was actually based on the B-29 bomber. So that was the, the other old tankers before the KC-135. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful-looking aircraft, actually, the, the KC-97. And that's why we have a chat room. That is true. Yeah. That is why we have a chat room. Okay, I think we should move on now. Carlos, I think you've got the next story. Yeah, this next story this is... One, I, don't, um, I don't know how I feel about this one. <laughs> yeah, this next story is uh, it's, it's quite interesting, actually. This is on Sky News, this next story. And the headline, Coronavirus. Well, hey, we haven't heard oh, for a while. I need to open a beer. Hang on, sorry. There we go, I've got that. a beer here. Thank you very much. <laughs> Coronavirus, British Airways pilots... Um, facing redundancy could join the Royal Air Force on secondment. So discussions are said to be at an early stage, but the Royal Air Force is described as very receptive to the idea. So BA pilots or British pilots and other civilian aviators at risk of redundancy because of coronavirus job cuts might be able to join the Royal Air Force on secondment, Sky News understands. 
So talks are underway between the Royal Air Force and members of the aviation industry to explore whether civilian pilots who previously served in the armed forces and those with no prior military experience at all could fill hundreds of vacancies in flying and ground-based roles according to the Royal Air Force and aviation industry officials and sources. A note issued by a trade union body sat out in details the discussions regarding uh, BA pilots. The British Airline Pilots Association, or BALPA, as we know here, message uh, seen by Sky News said its representatives have been in touch with the RAF for several weeks to discuss the possibility of BA pilots making the switch on 18-month to 48-month secondments. The Royal Air Force uh, was very receptive to the idea and has uh, indicated that there are a wide range of positions available in both flying and ground roles, the association has said. It argued that uh, of its, any of its members who are interested to fill an ex, uh, expression of interest form, uh, which is obviously they have to do this uh, as part of course, Brian Strutton, General uh, Secretary of Balpa, described the talks as exploratory, as the union is still doing all it can to ensure the maximum number of pilots stay working at BA. But the airline has warned of uh, swinging or swining job cuts following a dramatic slump in the demand of air travel, as we know, because of the certain pandemic that's around and now. So Mr. Stratton said that there was a well-established career path from the uh, uh, Royal Air Force to BA. So people are exploring whether it could work in reverse. It makes a lot of sense to explore, but there are lots of details that need to be worked out, he told Sky News. He says that we are using our common sense to prepare for future eventualities. Some 1,100 BA pilots could be looking for employment. Pilots contemplating a second uh, a secondment uh, to the Royal Air Force, however, may want assurances they will be able to return to their job with BA in the future. A spokesperson for the Royal Air Force confirmed that talks are underway with Balpa and British Airways and other aviation companies. The Royal Air Force... Uh, are always interested in recruiting high-quality people and are currently in initial discussions with the UK aviation industry on the possibility of employing suitable available personnel, he said. The other companies include GKN Aerospace, uh, British Aerospace and Ascent. RAF vacancies are thought to comprise of a number of flying roles with opportunities to operate the C-130 transport plane, something that Rick would know all about, <laughs> the uh, rivet joint reconnaissance aircraft and other airframes. Uh, Non-flying roles include flight data monitoring, simulator instructors and aviation safety and operations support. There's also uh, staff jobs at the Royal Air Force headquarters at High Wycombe. The Air Force already re runs a rejoiner scheme that enables anyone who has left the armed forces for the civilian aviation sector to return if they change their mind. Civilian pilots have previously been commissioned officers in the Royal Air Force, the Royal Navy or the British Army are expected to be the most heavily sought after in these talks prompted by the current crisis. They would require at least training for the roles available and could potentially uh, slot back into previous positions. Ex-service personnel from other ranks, non-commissioned uh, officers, might be required to go through officer training. Anyone with no military background would have to go through training, meaning it would take a lot longer before they could start deploying. Willie Walsh, the chief executive of International Airlines Group, or IAG, which owns BA, was asked about Royal Air Force opportunities for his pilots 
with a military background when he faced questions from the MPs on the Transport Select Committee on Monday this week. He said that I've heard a suggestion of the scheme but have not seen any specifics. And he said that he's not aware of any specific exists, but is, uh, if it exists, he would be delighted to facilitate the uh, RAF and to facilitate any of our pilots who get the veil of that, Mr. Walsh said. Quite honestly, if it's available, it would be excellent, he said. I've also uh, seen any specific data of schemes as yet, and he's not heard of any suggestion of it being looked over and talked about. The talks between the RAF and the aviation industry are still understood to be at an initial stage, so details such as contracts are yet to be agreed. Now, the question I ask Armando and Rick, obviously, with this story is, I think everyone is used to hearing about people leaving the services, the US Air Force or the Royal Air Force, and moving on to, to become a commercial airline pilot. But how often, forget what's going on now in the world, but how often has it worked for you guys in the past? Do you know anyone who's gone from kind of the, you know, from the other way around? So gone, you know, from, uh, from the commercial side back to, to military? All the time. So uh, we pick up guys quite a bit in my squadron that um, are already airline pilots. They are established uh, commercial pilots, and they uh, have a willingness to serve their country. They have a willingness to use their skills to better themselves and to um, serve our nation. And um, that's one way they do it is that they'll enlist in or you know, uh, get a commission in the Air Force Reserves or the Air National Guard. Um, this was always this was kind of a surprise to me um, when I did a, uh, a week long exchange with um, a our sister unit in the UK. Um, there was no guard or reserve in the Royal Air Force. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe the uh, chat room can help me out here. But uh, I don't. I remember the guys saying that they were just fascinated by the fact that at the time I was flying for an airline at as well as flying. Um, you know, uh, for the service. And I was, and they were floored by that. And a lot of those guys were like, man, that would be great if I could have a civilian job and also fly in, you know, for the military and everything, I would do both. And um, so this is great. Maybe the, you were going to see the, uh, the, the RAF move to this model that the, uh, the uh, USAF has. I, I don't know. I mean, um, uh, it's going to be great for these guys, especially with the climate that we have right now and what's going on. The uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of guys looking for work, and uh, man, they got some great experience that uh, you know I would hate to see go to waste. You know, let's let's get these guys back in the seat. Uh, let's get, let's get these guys flying. Okay, so now Armando, yeah. maybe or well, Armando or Rick, I don't mind who really. Uh, so my question really is: so they mentioned the C one hundred and thirty, obviously, in this particular story, uh, and I'm I'm vaguely familiar with the f- the, the the term type rating. So. What exactly is going to be involved? I mean, they, they mentioned obviously there's going to be some some retraining, if you like, in order for them to, to, you know, for commercial pilots to essentially do this. But but you know, what type rating have you got already sure. might be suited best for? Let's let's use the C-130 as an example. Well, um, so I will caveat one thing to what Rick said is um, we have the ability to do that with the guard and reserves. You don't traditionally see guys 
that have other careers go to active duty. Active duty tends to be a career path. Um, And that's one of the beauties of the guard and the reserve is that you can lead sort of this double life um, and, and have experiences that cross flow into one into the other. And that's a good thing and a bad thing sometimes. Um, as far as type rating goes, Matt, that unless you have a Lockheed 382 type rating on your certificate. I say what um, now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which apparently Rick has, right? So uh, uh, the military has exemptions to some of these things, to type rating. So unless you, if you're a military pilot and you specifically want to go out and get a type rating in the aircraft that you fly, such as a KC-135, is a 707. A KC-46 is a 767. A C-130 is technically a Lockheed 382. Um, So unless you specifically go out somewhere and get that type rating onto your certificate, it's not really required for military flying. So so what's the exact... So, so, you know, let's say we've got people who are flying... uh, I mean, a a plane that I know that BA have got, either the 747, obviously, or or let's say the 320, something like that. So so how, how are they going to transfer those skills, if you like, to an aircraft in the military? Well, it's just like if you were to get move from one aircraft to the other. If you went from the 737 to the um, 787, you would have to go through, you know, a differences training. Right. Um, so I, I'm sure in, in this scheme, they are probably looking at, well, if you fly the A330, you can fly the A330 in the military. Right. Um, an, an MRTT, a, a rivet joint, as they said in the article, it's a 707 there, I don't know how many people there are left that have 707 type ratings, but I'm sure there's a few out there. Captain um, Jeff, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jeff and Nick, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, it, it would it would require some training into that airframe, no matter what. Even if you've okay. already flown it in the civilian world, you have to you have to train to a, mil, a military application. So um, now, from what they're saying in this article, at least it, these are combat support aircraft. So I doubt that these uh, BA pilots are going to get trained to do a full tactical mission. So so in a C-130 or an RC-135 or something like that, it would be um, most likely in a supporting role. It would be not a tactical environment. That would be my guess. I don't know. I'm sure these are all things that they're specifically talking about. But... Um, yeah, and, and the chat room, yeah, that type, I'm loosely using the word type rating or differences ratings. Um, but no matter what, it, it would require some some training. But if you know how to learn, yeah, which true. is a, a weird thing, like if you, if you have demonstrated the ability to learn a large, heavy, complicated aircraft, uh, such as a 787 or, or a 737 even, that, that ability to ability to learn is what they're going to be looking for for you to come into C-130 training. Right. Okay. Wow. Okay. Whew. Blimey. It's, uh, I, I, as you say, I mean, you don't want, you don't want to be losing these, these access to these skills. It, as, it, but uh, I say, as an, uh, you know, somebody looking from the outside in, it, it seems like an unusual path, uh, um, you know, to go as, to, to go from like military, uh, you know, to go from like the commercial to military. It's, it's, I, I always assumed a bit like we would, like Carlos was saying that it's the other way around. But as I say, Rick's saying it's, more more yeah. commonplace than you than you you would expect. It, it, yes, very much so. It's it's um, you know guard and reserves, 
you know, guys all the time, um, you know, looking for, um, you know, a, a willingness to serve. Um, and there are guys that, um, you know, the commercial airlines is just not for them. And, um, you know, they love aviation, they love flying, they have that willingness, they want to serve their country. And, um, you know what, I, you know, they, they said, Hey, let's, you know, let's do this. And, and they go off to, uh, active duty. And, um, you know, that's great. That that's, you know, it's amazing to be able to do that kind of thing. So, um, you know, there's always there's all sorts of different ways to serve, and I, I, you know, back to the story. I just like the fact that they're really starting to look into this. I think it's going to definitely help out the guys that uh, need the jobs mm. and still want that uh, that uh, opportunity to be able to serve their country. Cool, cool, lovely. Thanks for that, guys. Okay, Armando, you've got the next story, I think. Yeah, so this is kind of tacking on to what Michael was talking about earlier in that light attack role. So multiple companies uh, who faced off last year in the Air Force's light attack experiment are again going to compete for a similar contract from U.S. Special Operations Command. Uh, Sierra Nevada Corporation, Textron, Air Tractor, and Lidos are all offering aircraft for a three-phase armed Overwatch competition that ends with live fly demonstrations in November. That demo follows the Air Force's nearly three-year light attack effort to uh, that ultimately fell short of a full-fledged buy last year. Uh, SOCOM, uh, SOCOM acquisition executive James Smith told reporters May 13th that the command is very pleased with the industry's response so far. He declined to say how many actual proposals SOCOM had received. Uh, we've got a good competition going, he said. There are sufficient vendors out there that have a product that they can offer and that will be able to put into production in fairly short order. The Air Force had previously vetted four aircraft offered by Textron, Sierra Nevada Air Tractor, and L3. Uh, Textron Air Defense is maintaining open lines of communication with U.S. SOCOM regarding its plans, timelines, and milestones in support of its armed overwatch experimentation. Uh, the article goes on to talk about the AT-6, the air tractor. Uh, there's a Super Chicano in here that I believe SNC was trying to put together. And even just uh, today, I saw an article from MAG Aerospace that they are probably throwing a armed caravan, a Cessna 208 caravan, into the mix. Um, SOCOM ultimately wants to buy up to 75 aircraft over five to seven years. In 2021, they requested $106 million dollars. Um, for the fiscal year to, to move this program along. Um, so that's kind of what we were talking about. We've talked about it previously on the show also where there is a, a remarked difference between the Air Force and United States Special Operations Command. Um, so apparently SOCOM wants this ability to to have this light attack, low maintenance, low, uh, uh, well, as they called it in the A10 article, a low-end fight type of platform. Um, Micah, I'd love to hear your your thoughts on this. Well, actually, before we do that, I was going to um, say that Rick, didn't you mention that you flew the AT6? Did you? Uh, was that something you enjoyed? I flew the T6, and that was back in undergraduate pilot training. And man, that thing is a lot of fun to fly. It's uh, fast. It's powerful. Um, I think somebody I heard somewhere compare it to, uh, it is the same performance, similar performance to that of a uh, P-51 Mustang. 
So you think about this is that you have a bunch of kids who have no idea what they're doing, trying to learn how to fly an airplane and you put them into a P-51. Right. All right. It well, was that, a that's, blast. That's what it was in World War II, wasn't it? You, <laughs> that's also very like, true. From like a uh, steerman to a T-6 to a P-51? <laughs> yep. Yep, exactly. So, man, uh, great airplane, incredibly capable airplane. Um, a lot of fun to fly, uh, highly aerobatic, obviously. Um, but, uh, I mean, this is uh, something that the guys, they've been pushing for this for a long time now, and they will not let it die. I, this is, seems to me this is kind of the, uh, the fallout from when they were trying to get rid of the A-10, right? And, uh, but they ended up finding that there's a niche here that uh, they need to fill. And, um, you know, uh, great on them. You know, you, you get these uh, small conflicts, these, um, these little regional conflicts, if you would, where SOCOM gets involved and uh, they just need that, um, uh, that ground uh, support asset where an A-10 might not be available, but uh, it's cheap, it's um, easy to operate, it's easy to maintain, uh, it can go into these uh, substandard airfields and uh, get refueled, rearmed, and then off back into the fight again. So, hey, you know, great. I, you know, I'm, I would be all for it. So, but, yeah, awesome airplane, great capable, greatly capable airplane. Um, you know, I, I'd like to see where this goes for sure. Yeah, especially with the, uh, the air tractor. I saw the, the, the demonstration on that one. That's something that you can throw into the back of a C-17. You take the wings off. Sorry about that. Um, you take the wings off and uh, you, can, you can do a forward operating location out of a dirt strip in the middle of nowhere. So I'm going to use completely random examples, but you could throw two of these into the back of a C-17, go out to West Africa somewhere, land at a, an airport like Dakar and put them together. Now fly them out to a remote location out in the Sahara and you can operate them from a 2000 foot dirt strip with about four maintainers. Cause the airplanes all have a PT six in it. You just need a couple uh, inflatable or not inflatable, but um, you know, basically bladders of jet fuel and a little trailer container to run the mission and, and you could run armed surveillance and light attack missions for months with minimal maintenance with, with uh, something like a Chicano, a T6, an air tractor, or a caravan. I remember so I saw one of these back the first time I went to the Dubai Air Show, not the, pre, not this, the, the last time with Nev, but the, the first time I went to Dubai Air Show. I interviewed the guys at Textron on their stand, and they had one of these on the stand fully laden up with you know, with everything, as much as you could get on the wings, I think. And I, I said to I said to the guy on the stand, I said, I said, um, you know, what's the, the big key selling point about this this aircraft? And he 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 said that it, that it was one of the things was that it can carry a hell of a lot of stuff, ordnance underneath the wings, and also it it was the endurance, the actual endurance mm-hmm. time of the aircraft itself. It had a very 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 good endurance time that it could it could stay overhead of target and and carry on for for quite some i think it's quite a few hours overhead yeah I, I think a caravan in a surveillance uh modification could probably go up there for six hours or so mm-hmm. if wow. i was guessing there there's a company here uh, just outside of uh, charlotte called i o max i o m a x 
Uh, if you go onto YouTube and look at some of their videos, some of their promotional videos for their, uh, I believe they're using a thrush, which is similar to an air tractor. Um, yeah, go on, go online, check out their videos, their capabilities, things, and, and you'll see exactly why this is a unique air, airplane and capability that, that uh, pro- probably won't die if you're, a, if you're an army uh, general or a you know, special operations guy. Indeed, indeed. Okay, uh, on to the next story then. And uh, Carlos, uh, an interesting one here. It's uh, noise, I think, is the issue here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's one of those things that I have actually missed here in in the uh, area that me and Matt live because it's been very quiet, quiet not just with yeah. GA, but with, uh, with this as well. But uh, this one is on the dailypost.co.uk. And uh, RAF Valley, the headline says, releases a fresh statement after more complaints flood in in about its lockdown flight training. So uh, the uh, RAF has defended the continuation of flight training during the coronavirus lockdown, despite complaints of noise uh, at a North Wales base. Politicians on Anglesey say concerns have been raised over the social distancing measures being observed at RAF Valley, as well as complaints over the noise being generated by training flights for both Hawkjet and Texan aircraft during the lockdown. Such concerns have prompted the island's MPs to write to the Ministry of Defence, seeking assurances that the travel to and from the base is limited to and only critical journeys. Uh, Virginia Crosby MP wrote in a letter to Defence Secretary Ben Wallace that while many residents are immensely grateful for the economic and uh, social benefits of Aria Valley, several constituents had raised concerns over the basis operation and how social, distance, uh, social distancing is being observed. Earlier this month, uh, Gwynedd MP Hyle Williams also contacted the base uh, to highlight concerns raised by his constituents. Many constituents had a deeply held concern over the noise and several training flights for the Hawk jets and Texan aircraft over Anglesey during the lockdown period, she said. Secondly, on behalf of many who have contacted me, um, she said, I would like to seek reassurances from you Royal Air Force, that the personnel at the base are maintaining a strict social distancing and that the travel turn from the base is outside the island is limited to critical journeys only. It said we have to do all we can to prevent further outbreaks of the virus on the island. Ruin App Uworth, member of the SNID, a uh, separate letter wrote, concerns have been raised with me, they said, uh, a significant number of trainee pilots may have been travelling to and from RAF Valley every weekend or at least very regularly from across the United Kingdom. Civilian staff uh, say they are worried about the impact this might have on local population in light of the current pandemic and so how such arrangements may be at odds with restriction against non-essential travel. A spokesman for the Ministry of Defence told the local Demo- uh, democracy reporting service that the delivery of all training remains under constant review but the efforts are in place to ensure disturbances are kept to an absolute minimum he said that the RAF has to continue to conduct essential flying training in order to continue to maintain the supply of trained pilots uh, to sustain 
operational capability. The delivery of all training will remain under constant review, he said. Uh, RAF Valley uh, remains a key operating base uh, for the RAF and will play a key role in future of the armed forces, he said. Uh, the RAF is constantly striving to ensure that the disturbances are kept to an absolute minimum and that the burden of noise pollution is uh, distributed as evenly as possible. We do uh, complete a large proportion of our training over the sea. However, this is not always possible due to weather constraints or training requirements. Group Captain Chris Moon, Station Commander of RAF Valley, said the base takes public health guidance very seriously while delivering world-class training to student pilots in order to get them to the RAF frontline. Every single aspect of working at RAF Valley has been reviewed and many procedures amend in order to take account to social distancing and other public health measures. We have dramatically reduced the footfall on station where possible and people are working from home. And we have implemented reduced or split shifts across many areas, he said. We are extremely grateful for the support of the people of Anglesey and North Wales, and I can assure them, he says, that we are conducting vital training to ensure the continued defence and security of the UK, and we stand by to assist the civilian authorities in the fight against COVID-19 when asked. Now, I have to say, Anglesey... The particular place there, I've been there, is a really, really nice part of the UK. And for me, obviously, I think most people would agree, you know, it's nice to have a bit of um, aviation in the air, albeit noisy stuff, but it is nice to have something to look at in the skies. So I, I, I wouldn't complain if it was me, but... Um, well, I might be a little bit biased on this story, but uh, the routes that these aircraft are flying are pre-planned routes there. The UK airspace is so um, crowded that when you're doing low level training, so Matt was flashing up some of these pictures of the, the Hawks and the, uh, I think they're Chicanos going through mm. the valleys. Those are pre-planned, pre-planned routes. So if you live there, you know that these aircraft are, are there. This is, I, you know, I don't usually take sides on many stories, but this is a big nothing burger story. This is probably <laughs> one person that is uh, getting their their time into social media because training still has to go on. You know that you live under one of these routes. So just, you know, just because now you're home instead of, of working, now you're noticing the noise of the aircraft. But the, perhaps they don't realize the the purpose of this, right? You still got to train pilots. This is national defense, national security. That does, that kind of stuff doesn't come to a halt just because there's a virus. Um, not not marginalizing the virus, but but hey, you still got to plan for tomorrow's fight. So, yeah. and I know previously, Rick, uh, you and I were talking about some changes that you've seen in um, in your training environment, right? With with new, I guess, safety measures with the with the virus. Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, we take precautions. You know, the the world is still uh, a very dangerous place, and uh, there's still very bad people who want to uh, do harm. And um, we need to take the necessary precautions in order to 
protect ourselves and to protect the general public and to protect these countries where we go and fly into. And, uh, you know, that's an acceptable level of risk that we need to take. And we do it every single solitary day. All of us do, commercial and military. So uh, the world still needs to fly. We still need to stay connected. Um, you know, so we just have to take that level of risk. Now, zero level of risk, we talk about acceptable level of risk. The zero is we stop flying, we all stay home. And, um, you know, eventually one day we'll, um, you know, all come out of this and, and everyone will be healthy. But uh, that's not how things work. The world needs to continue to spin. So uh, we uh, uh, assess what needs to get done. We assess that level of risk and we take the necessary precautions. So mass um, you know, quarantining ourselves when we need to, uh, staying away from people, but, uh, most importantly, right. Um, wash your hands and, uh, don't lick any doorknobs, right. So, or other people's faces. <laughs> yeah, Nick, Cod- Nick Codling actually says, it, you know, it points out a quite obvious thing in the chat room. It's rather like people who buy a house near a motor racing circuit, then complain about the noise. Yeah. It's exactly right. And it's like people who buy a house underneath the flight path to, to London Heathrow. It's a busy flight path. You're going to buy a house there. It's going to be noisy. So don't buy a house there. Buy a house in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I I just wrote in the chat room, perhaps your estate agents over there should mention, hey, you're buying a house underneath a low-fly training area. Yeah, but they're not going to do that, are they? Actually, mention it uh, while we're talking about the uh, the area. Richard Adams is saying in the chat room here, what are they whinging about? The cl- it's very clear that the spotters in the loop are being missed by more than two metres. You know, I mean, just, <laughs> just. Uh, but, hey, Matt, you got you got to admit, Matt, sometimes the, uh, the, the aircraft flying in the valley where we live here mm. fly close to two metres above the house. Well, no, quite, indeed. <laughs> that is true. Anyway, uh, on to the say, next... Yeah, on to oh, the I'm next story. I will say, I'm really surprised by this because the, the local airport um, where I'm based, uh, they when you buy a house, you have to sign a declaration that you have... You're moving into uh, a flight path zone. So, you know, you can't complain. You're, wow. you're, you buy a house, you have to sign a piece of paper when you buy the house that says, hey... You cannot complain about the noise from the airport because the airport is right there. You know about it. I don't understand what's going on here. Anyway, I apologize. Sorry no, to interrupt. No, no indeed. Uh, that's something the, uh, the executive director at the Portland airport and I have talked about, that he wants that to put into the, uh, the city contract, but the city council here wants nothing to do with it mm. and won't allow it to happen. No, because I think they're worried that it might damage. Uh, there's a possibility that people might might not be willing to buy houses based on that information. But you know, I mean, sorry, transparency is key. I think when it comes to something like this. Yeah, uh, Rick, you've got uh, story number seven. I think I sure do. So this uh, next story is. Uh about the air show circuit. So here's Venom, the new special, specially painted jet of the F-16 Viper demo team. Uh, cool paint job. I love it. The team has just unveiled its new aircraft, and it's, a, and it's crazy cool. Uh, commanded by Major Garrett Toro Schmidt, an operational F-16 pilot assigned to the 20th Operations Group Shaw Air Force Base, the United States Air Force F-16 Viper demonstration team it is a 15-member team whose mission is to showcase the Viper's maneuverability and air shows around the world. These shows allow us to demonstrate the capabilities of the F-16 to a worldwide audience while highlighting the world of the airmen who keep the Viper flying, says Master 
or it says Master Sergeant Chris Schneider, F-16, Viper Demo Team Superintendent last year. It's not every day people get a chance to hear the sound of freedom roaring over their heads or watching a team of maintainers working together to make it happen. Although the team can fly an aircraft, although the team can fly aircraft borrowed by units based close to the airshow location, this F-16 Viper Demo Team has also has also its own airframes using used for training as well as for display. This new one has just been introduced. It's nicknamed Venom, and it's and it's also the first F-16 of the team to sport a special livery. Uh, yeah. So the uh, F-16 Viper Demo team has worked on a special color for the 2020 air show season since December 2019. Well, it was scheduled to be completed in March due to the COVID-19 pandemic. We paused production to ensure the safety of our crews. Let's all take a drink. We got the COVID-19 uh, in right. there. Yes, sorry, yes. Um, <laughs> Cheers, everyone. <laughs> uh, the snake scales across the body of the aircraft fit the, snake, uh, the namesake of the jet and our signature black and yellow colors featured prominently from nose to tail. We wanted to undertake this project to make a special experience for our fans across the country and to inspire patriotic Americans to serve in the Air Force. Thank you to our wingman at Shaw Air Force Base Corrosion for sharing the enthusiasm for our design and making it a reality. We can't wait to see Toro Schmidt 16 send it into Venom. Um, cool paint job. This is great. Um, we were talking a little earlier. A lot of people had questions about what is the difference of Viper demo team, right? Doesn't the Thunderbirds fly F-16s? Well, yes, they do. They are a, the uh, United States Air Force uh, demonstration team, the Thunderbirds. Um, all of the aircraft, all the fighter aircraft, uh, I should say, in the uh, United States Air Force have a capabilities demonstration team. Um, and, um, Armando, you know, you touched on, I think you elegantly put it, uh, earlier, but, uh, F-16, it's a single ship demonstration, um, at air shows that, uh, shows what is the capability of the F-16. The F-35 has it, the F-22 has it, the A-10 has one, um, let's see, the Navy, uh, F-18 has one, um, and then there are demonstration teams across the United States that, uh, have these capabilities. Uh, really, or, and across the world, actually. Um, there's um, German, Portuguese, Turkish. They all have these awesomely painted liveries of these F-16s and these um, other aircraft out there. And, man, are they neat. They are really cool to uh, to see. But um, it's awesome. It uh, uh, instills excitement, and it really showcases um, the capabilities. These teams really sh- uh, showcase the capabilities of some of these aircraft. So, Armando, do you have anything to add to that? I, I think I talked to, I think I, we talked about it, right? Yeah, no, I couldn't have said it any better, Rick. I think you should move down to Columbia, South Carolina and become their ground announcer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. Okay. Now we're moving, we're la- last story on this one actually is uh, uh, an aircraft that's very close to your heart, uh, Armando. Oh, yeah. Last military story. We can only hear the size from the audience. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the first two V-22 Osprey aircraft bound for the Japanese Ground Self-Defense Force uh, have arrived in Japan at U.S. Marine Corps Air Station Iwakuni, according to a recent news release. Uh, the V-22 offload marked the first time the Japanese Ground Self-Defense Force V-22s arrived on Japanese soil. Uh, Japan has ordered the first five Osprey aircraft for their force. Uh, In July 2015, 
for $332 million. A number of V-22s will be stationed aboard the Maritime Self-Defense Force's new 19,500-ton helicopter carrier Izumo. The Japanese Ministry of Defense also announced its intention to deploy some V-22s into the East China Sea. The purchase of the V-22 tilt rotor aircraft is part of a larger push from the Japanese Self-Defense Force to improve its amphibious and naval warfare capabilities. The aircraft is a joint service multi-role aircraft utilizing tilt rotor technology to combine the vertical performance of a helicopter with the speed and range of a fixed wing aircraft. With its rotors in vertical position, it can take off, land, and hover like a helicopter. Once airborne, it can convert to a turboprop airplane capable of high-speed, high-altitude flight. This combination results in a global reach capability that allows the V-22 to fill an operational niche just like or unlike any other aircraft. Uh, The aircraft, as we've talked about on this show, is in service with the U.S. Marine Corps and Air Force Special Operations Command. Uh, since entering service, the V-22 has been deployed numerous mission, uh, missions around the world, including casualty evacuation, tactical recovery of aircraft and personnel, humanitarian assistance, disaster relief, resupply, VIP transport, and theater security cooperation missions. And to my knowledge, this is uh, the first time the V-22 has been exported to a partner nation, correct, Micah? As far as I know, I believe that is correct. And and I had a question for you, Armando, and I'm wondering what your opinion is on this. The, the Army does not fly the V-22 because it is considered an airplane as opposed to a helicopter. Uh, and I believe it would violate the uh, 1948 Key West Agreement. So I'm wondering how that was going to fly, pun intended, if the Army takes on the Bell V-280 Valor as its uh, future vertical list concept, which is basically a, it's, it's similar to the V-22, other than it has a V-tail, and instead of the nacelles rotating, just the, uh, the props, the rotors rotate. So I'm wondering how that would affect that, because that's one of the two aircraft in the competition. Yeah, we have a a little bit of cross-pollination of technology, don't we, (laughs) with the V-280. And and, uh, maybe it's something that we'll see the future of vertical lift. It will be some sort of hybrid approach to all of it. Um, But that's an excellent question, Mike. I I don't know what it's going to look like in the future. Um, Yeah, we'll see. Anyway, that's where I was with that. (laughs) Yeah. It's a a great airplane, you know, but... but, uh, I think we've talked about it. The the V-22 was also designed in the late 70s, early 80s is really where it started taking shape. Um, so the V-280 uh, it is just a natural next uh, step evolution to to this kind of technology. And it's, it's just proven now that we're really getting the computers to cooperate <laughs> and the automated uh, automatic flight control system, um, it, it's just – proven to be such a, a great capability, um, you know, and I, I think, oh my gosh, like the, the yak, there was a yak back in the day that was a vertical lift fighter. Now we're back to it with the F-35 that's doing a vertical takeoff from aircraft carriers. So it's just something that, that has always el- eluded the, the military is how to get a good vertical capability with a with with the forward speed that you need. Uh, obviously the Harrier, right? 
So right. Well, what I what I love about the V twenty two, what really surprised me actually about the V twenty two, and while the the Marines do fly some of those in their uh, the presidential unit, it's not uh, Marine One, and I would think that would be the perfect Marine One because the president could take that. And I'm not talking. I'm talking about the president, of the office, not any particular president. Just to make sure that we're not talking politically here. But the president could take that from the White House directly to say if he's traveling to Philadelphia or to Richmond or to New York City without having to get onto Air Force mm-hmm. One because it's a short hop and it's quick. Yeah. And so I don't under, you know if if I don't understand why that hasn't been uh, moved into Marine One for that kind of use. Yeah, I'm also surprised. I was talking with. Uh, with one of my fellow pilots as we were coming into uh, the Washington DC area not too long ago. Um, Cause you, the, the F 15 belly up or belly up gear up landing uh, that we talked about earlier. I was actually flying that day. There was a TFR a presidential TFR over camp David that day. And we could hear the call signs of the V 22s and we could hear some of the Blackhawks. And uh, we were asking ourselves that same question. Why, why aren't the V 22s, used in a presidential transport role. It's a, uh, I don't know. It will at some point, I think. Uh, well, although the Sikorsky, the S-76 um, military version, though, is, is getting produced for the military now. So uh, that's obviously a, a quieter ride. It's an executive transport. So maybe, maybe we won't see it. Do you miss the 22, Amanda? Mm. It's really it? loud. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know... Uh, Rick, you could probably go on and fly for hours and hours and hours, but I, I tell you, after four hours, it, it was like a like a uncoordinated drummer beating on your helmet for four hours, and it's not particularly big. If you've seen it at one of the air shows, the cabin is not tremendously big, and I, and I'm five foot nine, and my head would hit the top when I had my helmet on, so it's not comfortable. It's it's not tremendously quiet. <laughs> so, so you're, you're not going to sneak up on anybody in a V twenty two. I mean, I mean, what is what is its role? What we, what would you use the the Osprey for? I mean, what is its primary function? Is it for moving personnel, or I mean, has it got a, a huge load capacity? I mean, what, what is its no, function? It's, it's exactly what Michael was talking about. Um, little known fact: the Air Force squadrons that are operating the V twenty two were all. Of previously C-130 squadrons. They were not helicopter squadrons. Um, so um, uh, I take that back because there was, there's one uh, former Pavlo squadron. But uh, for example, the, the 7th Special Operations Squadron, who is now operating the CV-22, they used to be an MC-130H uh, Combat Talon II squadron. So their role is long-range infiltration, exfiltration of troops. Uh, at in adverse weather uh, at low altitude. Um, so that is what the aircraft was bought to do. It was never intended to be a replacement for, for a CSAR helicopter or a vertical lift type thing. Wow. Okay. Matt, by definition, helicopters are inefficient. Uh, they, uh, the rotors give them both lift and forward momentum. And uh, because of that, they, they don't have very long range. The, 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 C, the V, um, 
the, the Osprey was designed to have both vertical lift and long range because when they tilt those rotors into propeller type uh, propulsion, it's pulling it forward and the wing is giving it range. The propeller is just moving it along as opposed to the uh, rotary right. wing of a helicopter yeah. holding it up and moving it forward. So, so what, what, is the, what is the range then? I mean, what, what, what kind of distance can you cover, cover in, in, in one before you need to go back to base or, or to refuel? That's a great question that we shall not answer, but it is air refuelable. Okay, fair enough. I'm sorry I asked. Uh, <laughs> well, that's the, that's the that's the thing with this military stuff. It's all very secretive and top Honestly, yeah, I'll shut up now. Okay, yes, uh, uh, guys, it's been a lot of fun actually to to, to do a little bit. Of, I certainly learnt an awful lot. So thanks, uh, guys, for, for for doing that. It's uh, it's it's been an interesting. It's been an interesting time. 85 minutes for military, I think, is a new record. Uh, so, <laughs> so well done. Well done. Fantastic. Uh, Carlos, I think we've got a couple of bits and pieces we need to do, obviously. We've got a little bit of commercial to-dos, but uh, what's coming up next? Yeah, so uh, next, uh, coming up on the show, we've got, uh, well, we've got the, uh, the obviously, the, the guest interview which um, uh, oh, yes. Armando, you're uh, you've got uh, you're going to introduce this. Uh, am I? <laughs> yes. What you? Oh, yes. <laughs> we're, we're talking about. Are we talking about uh, the interview we're doing next week? Just to be clear. Oh dear. Yeah, I thought we were talking to Rick. That's what I'm getting myself in a, in a oh, muddle about. Oh, right, right, yeah. right. Before, <laughs> well, you know, in the interest of time, since it is already a quarter to four here in the, in the U.S., um, you know, how about we save a different time to talk to Rick and uh, yeah. and see how we're doing on time at the end of the show. Okay, all right, sounds good. All right, then. So, right. so we have got something uh, coming up next, then. Uh, we've got a, a kind of little special interest segment for you. We've obviously been playing out some uh, highlights reels that Nev's been putting together uh, for us on the show because, obviously, as everyone knows, we can't go to air shows, we can't go and look at air shows, we can't even... No, well, go to an air show no. anywhere in the UK because there aren't any. To be fair, because there's no there's no <laughs> air shows. But hopefully, with that GA restriction now being lifted, we might have an air show over here this weekend Ooh. of GA aircraft, okay. which is not technically an air show, <laughs> no, no, but, but it's good. Yeah, you'll but be out Nev's, there with your rap, won't you? Yeah. I will be out there. Yeah, but <laughs> Nev has put been putting together some highlight reels from our previous visits to various air shows across the globe. And uh, Matt, we've got a very nice little part five of we the We have indeed. Here we go. Uh, enjoy, everyone. Enjoy. The Plane Talking UK team have arrived at an ice cream van. And what's your interest in aviation? Um, Can you tell me, are you anticipating selling a lot of ice creams today? Well, it depends on whether. I think so. So clearly the name of the company is on your bosom. You've got the perfect view of the air show out there. It's not just all about aeroplanes. It's about drinking as well. <laughs> If you want to take your knowledge to the next level, sign up for a subscription at the A320 Lounge. Our online video courses combine whiteboard-style lessons with full failure demonstrations shot in 4K in state-of-the-art simulators using a professional production team. Go into your next simulator session with confidence, having seen failures run in real time and with the background knowledge to answer any questions from your instructor. To get more information and to sign up, visit a320lounge.com. Such awesome memories, honestly. That that whole 
Pittsburgh trip. I guess I, I rather conveniently lots so of Pittsburgh good. in there, isn't it? It's like Nev plans these things, you know. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, see, I was almost almost had a little bloody tick on me watching that. Yeah. And I, I, I still think that Wendy's burger is the best burger I've ever had. <laughs> Well, we come are. on back. We'll get you plenty more of them. Excellent. The, uh, hey, Rick, Rick, I've got the jar ready. I'm I'm most starting saving. Okay, yeah. right. <laughs> Fantastic. You got to keep the you got to keep things going, man. So you guys could do um, you know private jets all the way back. Uh, right. Okay. Go yes. Back. I think that avoid might be... those seven uh, avoid those seven fifty seven. Yes. Yes. Indeed. Yeah. yeah definitely the, the the way forward. Yes. Uh, in fact, actually, uh, speaking of commercial, it's time to move on, Carlos. Yes, we're going to start uh, the next part of the show, which is uh, the commercial segment. So if everyone is ready... Yeah. Let's do it. Here we go. Let's go. Ready. So the first news story in the commercial segment this week, and it's uh, it's going to have some kind of fairly good news for a change this week in the commercial news segment because it's been doom and gloom for so long. But uh, obviously with everything that's going on across the globe at the moment, Ryanair on uh, Tuesday the 12th of May announced plans to return to 40% of normal flight schedules from Wednesday the 1st of July this year, subject to government restrictions on intra-EU flights being lifted. Ryanair will operate daily flight schedules of almost 1,000 flights, restoring 90% of its pre-COVID-19 network. Brussels uh, Airlines as well is planning to resume its operations as from 15th of June. The Belgium home carrier plans to start with a reduced flight offer that will be built up of in phased approach according to the market demand and travel restrictions. Uh, Emirates, moving a bit further away from the UK, Emirates has announced its plan to operate scheduled flight services from the 21st of May to nine destinations. London Heathrow, Frankfurt, Paris, Milan, Madrid, Chicago, Toronto, Sydney and Melbourne, all subject to government approval. The airline will also offer connections in Dubai for customers travelling between the UK and Australia. Travellers will only uh, be accepted on these flights if they comply with the eligibility and entry criteria requirements of their destination countries. Uh, The Lufthansa Group, Uh, They announced they hope to operate 1,800 flights per week by the end of June. The Lufthansa Group, the parent company of those three airlines, in addition to numerous others, will bring back 80 aircraft into service, which is great. Uh, This means that from the 1st of June, a total of 160 aircraft will be operating to 106 destinations, doubling the previous schedule, which has seen 80 aircraft operating the repatriation flight schedule. Those repatriation flights will conclude on May the 30th. First, uh, the Dubai-based uh, airline sticking over there in the uh, UAE, uh, Fly Dubai. Uh, they're allowing bookings on their website from June the fifth. After announcing it had suspended passenger operations until June the fourth, as part of precautionary measures being implemented in response to COVID nineteen, Air New Zealand. 
uh, restarting Taupo uh, Timaru routes on June the 8th. I hope I pronounced that right. Flying into and out of Taupo and Timaru means Air New Zealand will be off, uh, flying to every domestic destination it did pre-COVID-19. Uh, moving across <coughs> to the US, uh, American Airlines are to resume flights to Havana. Um, and uh, as Cuba announces plans to reopen. Uh, Cuban President Miguel Diaz-Canel announced on May the 11th, uh, 2020, that Cuba plans to reopen to the world in early June 2020, as at the same time, American Airlines announced plans to resume flights between Miami and Havana on June the 4th. And then looking to the future Virgin Atlantic has announced its flying program for summer 2021. The service is operating from London, Heathrow, Manchester, Glasgow and Belfast here in the UK. Uh, London Heathrow to Tel Aviv service planning to increase to double daily. Uh, Caribbean and Orlando flying will operate out of London Heathrow, allowing seamless connections to the rest of the Virgin Atlantic network. Uh, connecting passengers from its northern home in Manchester to the US and Caribbean as well. And seasonal regional services from Glasgow uh, and Belfast to Orlando. So could we be seeing the return of a slight back to normal status. What do you think, guys? Oh, fingers crossed. Mm. Yeah, it would be nice. Crossed. Yeah, definitely. I, 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 I still think there's many questions uh, involving social distancing and things like that. I think, we're... and the whole quarantine things. Yeah, I think absolutely. there's a thing now about when we, if we travel to, yeah, um, a foreign country like, say, if we were to travel to Malta in mm. September, when we come back to the UK. Yeah. We've then got a quarantine. But as I say, we'll weeks. touch on that actually later. It's yeah. uh, we sort of talk about it a bit later on in the in, in yeah. the show. But uh, yeah, it's there's still a lot of questions I think that need answering, isn't there? But I mean, hey, yeah, any positive news at the moment I think has got to be good news for the industry, hasn't it? Need to get this industry back. Yep, back back running again to get on. these people back in jobs and get these pilots back on their seats. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, okay, yeah. we'll move on to the next story. This is on uh, Reuters.com. Uh, story number two uh, in the commercial is always Ryanair. And the headline is Ryanair plans to replace Lauda's Airbus jets with Boeing. Uh, this is a statement from Michael O'Leary. So uh, Dublin is where this came from. And uh, Ryanair plans to cancel all Airbus deliveries of Airbus jets planned for its subsidiary Lauda and expects to replace them with ones from Boeing. Its chief executive, Michael O'Leary, has said on Tuesday. Uh, we have aircraft that are due to be delivered over the next 12 months and we will cancel almost all of those deliveries which are from leasing companies uh, that O'Leary told Reuters in an interview. I think Lauda will have a fleet of about 30 Airbus aircraft. We would probably replace those, air those Airbus with Boeing over the next couple of years he said on condition that Ryanair reach an acceptable outcome uh, in talks with Boeing over compensation for delays to deliveries of the 737 MAX uh, and that was reporting by Connor Humphreys, editing by Louise uh, Heavens. So uh, interesting uh, there. As I say, I do think a lot of this does actually hang on uh, the the whole Max thing being brought to a satisfactory conclusion for everyone. I guess um, you know. I mean, it does. Does I don't know what anybody thinks. Do you think this is possibly the end of Louder if they're planning to sort of essentially retire their retire their fleet um, and go all Boeing, or is it just purely a maintenance decision? Perhaps? No, I think I think it's just a decision. Not we've always talked about this before on the show that you know they rather than having a fleet of 
mixed aircraft, yeah. two different types of aircraft, two different manufacturers, two different engineering type sets. You might as well just have one fleet of yeah. one aircraft uh, manufacturer that's completely the same for the yeah. whole. Yeah, absolutely. Although they are still technically, so, although, although Louder Motion is owned by Ryanair Holdings, of course, they are still technically being operated as, as separate entities. Um, so maybe, I don't know, we'll have to see. Uh, Armando, the next story is with you. Yeah, so this is a, a troubled, sort of a troubled path for Mitsubishi Aerospace. So they just recently announced that they, they would have the budget for its long-awaited regional jet program, uh, that they're taking that down to 60 billion yen. Uh, the decision came after the parent company, Mitsubishi Heavy Industries, posted a huge quarterly loss. Uh, we'll proceed with the project at an appropriate scale while taking into account the difficult circumstances that the group faces. Uh, Mitsubishi Heavy President and CEO Seiji Izumisawa told an online uh, news uh, conference. Uh, Mitsubishi also said that the development work for the 70-seat version of the space jet uh, designed for the U.S. market will be suspended until further notice. The plans for the 70-seater will be reconsidered during the suspension, um, said the CEO. Uh, the most recent timeline for the delivery was set to be 2023, but he didn't give any updates on plans to deliver the 90-seat version of the space jet, which was uh, until now, at least, delayed until April 2021. Uh, the final prototype for the 90-seater was just completed in January after a long delay. It was scheduled to be transported to the United, uh, United States this spring for test flights, but the company has not been able to do so because of the pandemic. Uh, so for, uh, for the year ending in March, the Mitsubishi Heavy Industries booked a consolidated operating loss for the first time in 20 years, after taking a 263 billion yen loss related to the space jet project. Um, so we talked about the space jet uh, back in 312, uh, episode 312. It was the first airliner to be produced and designed in Japan um, since the 1960s. That was kind of a failed project. Um, let's see, Mitsubishi, we, we talked about this, I think, briefly, the... Mitsubishi also acquired the CRJ, the Can uh, Canada Regional Jet from Bombardier. Um, that was just last week. They... Bombardier. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so on Sorry, one I'm June... all right now. I've got it out of my system. I'll be better now. Yeah. So... Good job. We'll, <laughs> we'll make that a, a little stinger or something like that. Um, but yeah, the Bombardier or Bombardier is selling the line to Mitsubishi for 500 million US dollars while it, uh, Mitsubishi will also assume its liability is worth 200 million dollars. So Bombardier will, uh, Bombardier will maintain the CRJ production until the aircraft's backlog runs out later this year. Uh, and then Mitsubishi will take on the, the rest of the whole program, the sustainment, the development, and the uh, production and, of these aircraft. Contrary to what the name suggests, a space jet is not actually a jet that's going into space. <laughs> yeah, it's not very spacey. It actually no, just okay. looks like an Embraer yeah, BRJ yeah, yeah. yeah, 170, okay. 190. Because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just realized how stupid I sound. Because in the show notes here, I was asking, what's the, what's the purpose of this aircraft, etc.? Thinking it was going to be something that was going to be used, like, you know, like a bit like, you know, the, the Virgin Galactic project. That, that um, Yeah, what is that? Uh, yeah. Boom? Is it Boom Aerospace? That's, uh, yeah. Or Zoom, actually, Zoom no, Aerospace? Boom Aerospace? Another inter interesting fact that I've just looked at on here on, yeah. on the Space Jet website is that, you know, when you get a, a designation for an aircraft, 
And normally when you go from, say, an MD, say an MD-80 to an MD-83, you expect the, the capacity for passengers to increase because the number's getting higher, MD-80, MD-83 mm. kind of thing. But with this, this M90 and M100, or M100 um, the capacity decreases. So the M90 holds 81 passengers, mixed class, and the M100, which you'd expect to hold more people, holds 76. Wow, okay. It holds less people, yeah. which is... Breaking the, the kind of the mold. Breaking the mold, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of uniqueness with this airplane. It's, uh, it's uh, Interestingly enough, it was SkyWest that had 100 orders for this, for the M90. Um, A&A, all Nippon Airways in Japan, and, and Japan Airlines combined had about 47 orders for it. Um, and Mesa Airlines here in the U.S. had 50 orders for, for the jet, so... Um, we'll see what happens always, with that. I was always curious what purpose it really filled in terms of its competition because it had the uh, C-Series, now the A220 is competition, and the uh, the jungle jets, the Embraer's 170s, 175s, 195s, and I didn't understand why Mitsubishi was kind of getting into this because there was already aircraft to kind of fill that need, plus the Comac uh, that in China, which will um, continue to be developed because China's going to buy them all, and, and the Sukhoi in Russia, which, uh, you know, is in competition to it. So um, I'm just not sure. I'm wondering if, if any of you guys have any idea. what, what specific, did, Was there any specific niche other than those two? I mean, did, did, didn't... No, I don't. Yeah, like I said, I, I think it's, it's it's a carbon copy of the ERJ, the Embraer jet. So I, I think the acquisition of the Bombardier, the CRJ series, I think that was the nail in the coffin for the space jet. Now, Rick, you've got the next story about uh, a certain airline that's being moaned about because of a fly past. I know. I, you know, I was reading through this story before, and I can understand where people are coming from, but at the same time, <sighs> it's exhausting. So as the story from Simple Flying says, uh, JetBlue's New York fly pass draws criticism. There's always someone really ready to criticize, especially when you're trying to do something nice. Excuse me. Poor old JetBlue found, its, uh, found this out firsthand this week when New Yorkers and politicians slammed the airline for its low-altitude fly pass in honor of the city's first responders. Uh, last night, U.S. low-cost low airline JetBlue undertook a uniquely a unique aerial display using three uh, usually liveried aircraft to fly low over the city of New York. The timing of the display was planned to coincide or coincide with the city's uh, nightly round of applause celebrating its frontline workers. The airline seconded. I heart blue York, blue finest, and blue bravest for the fly past aircraft and have been pinned to honor the city, the police force, and the fire department, respectively. The salute took place between 19 and 2,000 hours, with the uh, route spanning from JFK round Brooklyn over the Bronx and down the coast of Manhattan. The flight was operated at no cost to JetBlue and at no profit to the airline either. The Airline Pilots Association donated the pilot's time. A jet fuel provider donated the fuel and carbonfund.org offset all of the carbon emissions. I don't know how they can do that, but okay. Uh, the addition to all of this, the airline used the fly pass to jumpstart its offer of 
100,000 free pairs of round-trip tickets for deserving healthcare heroes. A super gesture, you might think, but not according to some New Yorkers. Despite the airline's best interest, it seems its choice of conducting a low fly pass was in in the opinion of many, gravely misjudged. Some were concerned about the environmental impact, but the vast majority were more concerned about the lack of conservation or consideration for New Yorkers' feelings. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know how much more I could go through this article. Oh, I was boy. so terrified. Uh, okay. Um, well, at least, um, you know, we have our... Distinguished Congresswoman Alexandra, okay, uh, I can't even pronounce her name, AOC as we know her, um, stating in a tweet, nothing like a corporate PR campaign that burns jet fuel at low altitudes of vulnerable communities dying from a respiratory virus that compounds our pre-existing and disproportionate exposure to air pollution to show healthcare workers we care. Uh, and it makes so much noise, too. I can't believe they were flying over my house. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, oh, man. I mean, um, I, I, mean I get wait, I, I Obviously, <laughs> I, I, I completely agree with you in many, many ways. But I, 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 a small part of me is thinking, I, 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 I'm questioning the logic behind this, given, the, obviously, the, the ex- what, ha- what happened in New York, obviously. I'm not sure that a, a commercial jet flying low, uh, you know, around Manhattan, say, is perhaps the most sensible decision on anyone's part. I think part. the PR campaign and I think the um, uh, the uh, what JetBlue had in mind to do nothing in terms of other than honoring the Absolutely. individuals yeah. who have been working is um, uh, very admirable. Yeah. And um, I think that there are always people out there who are going to uh, have criticism for what things and what people are doing. And, um, you know, uh, it, this just kind of got picked up by the news. Uh, I think the final tweet uh, from the uh, governor of New York, uh, JetBlue is donating a pair of round-trip tickets to 100,000 medical personnel and nurses to honor their efforts, beginning with 10,000 New York medical medical professionals. What a great way to thank so many of our frontline heroes. I mean, that's, a, that's think, an amazing gesture, isn't it? I, mean, I think yeah. that should be the takeaway here yeah, is absolutely. that, you know, we thank you all for doing what it is that you do, especially in this time. Mm. And um, JetBlue had nothing but the best intentions in mind. They thought of, uh, as from previously in the article, um, you know, the, uh, um, you know, donating the fuel, donating the yeah. pilot's time and just saying, hey, thank you for what it is that you do. And oh, by the way, um, you know, here's some tickets for the people who have been taking care of us. So um, thank you. And the you. other thing you may not you may not be aware of, Matt, because I don't know if it's been going on in the UK, but over here in the US, there have been flow, low level flyovers happening all over the country, honoring these medical professionals that have been sacrificing themselves oh, and putting absolutely. themselves in danger, uh, you know, and it's been going on everywhere. And it, they, in fact, they had the uh, the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds yeah. flew over New York very recently. Didn't I, hear I, anybody. Yeah, no, no, I, get, I get that, but the, obviously they're, they're obviously very identifiable as a certain aircraft. It's just this small thing. If, it, if perhaps the, the, you know, the PR campaign perhaps didn't maybe backfired a little bit because uh, if people didn't know that the, there was a fly pass going on, there might be a lot of people thinking, holy crap, perhaps, why is this Perhaps aircraft? they should have been towing a banner. 
Uh, well, something. I, I don't think you could do that necessarily, but yeah, I mean, yeah, some something to sort of do that. I mean, it's a lovely gesture at the end of the day, wasn't it? I mean, they're, they're, obviously they meant no harm by by doing something like this. It, you know, I just I just feel that uh, you know I can understand why the people, you know, the residents of New York perhaps weren't overly thrilled. Uh, about I most of them were incredibly thrilled yeah. there's always a, a group of Good people point. who are going to be victims and yeah. are going to say we were terrified yeah. and are, are going to do that and and unfortunately some of them can well with the social media craze uh you know they're, they're always going to be able to make themselves known yeah. uh this was a marvelous gesture by uh by jet blue uh, they did an incredible thing and it was very well publicized and there was no reason for any of that at all somebody was trying to find fault no that's true well while you're in so, the chair micah perhaps you could yes. uh, take the next story you've got some sad news micah about my third favorite commercial airliner <laughs> i oh, do wow. have bad news and it's it's just terrible because delta plans to retire its 18 wide-body boeing 777s by the end of 2020 as a result of this covid19 pandemic the retirement's going to accelerate the airline strategy to simplify and modernize its fleet and the boeing 7 triple seven two hundreds first entered the fleet in 1999 and they had 18 aircraft including 10 of the long-range triple seven two hundred LRs which showed up in 2008 and at that time the aircraft was uniquely positioned to fly non-stop between Atlanta and Joburg South Africa also Los Angeles to Sydney and some other distant destinations now Atlanta to Johannesburg I think happens to be uh, the longest flight uh, one of the longest commercial flights in the world non-stop uh, last month Delta announced plans to accelerate the retirement of the mad dogs oh no. the MD eights and the M90s and they're going to be going out in Boom. June and since the onset of the COVID-19 situation, Delta has reacted quickly by parking aircraft all over Atlanta, among other places, and considering early aircraft retirements to reduce operational complexity and cost. To date, the airline has parked more than 650 mainline and regional aircraft to adjust capacity to match the reduced customer demand. Delta will continue to fly its fleet of long-haul next-generation Airbus A35900s, which burn 21% less fuel per seat than the 777s they replace. But there's more. American Airlines is saying goodbye to five aircraft types in its fleet. As, quote, as flying schedules and aircraft needs are fine-tuned during this period of record low demand, American will take the unique steps of retiring a total of five aircraft types, unquote. The airline said in a recent press release. The airline had already retired its Embraer 190s and Boeing 767 fleets, which were originally scheduled to retire at the end of 2020. But the airline has also accelerated the retirement of its Boeing 757s, making Matt Smith very happy, Airbus A3, and Airbus A330 300s. Additionally, Airbus is retiring, Amer- additionally, American is retiring 19 Bombardier Siege RJ200 aircraft operated by PSA Airlines. Does anybody know what PSA stands for? Nope. Pacific Southwest Airlines. Oh, okay. These changes remove operating complexity and will bring forward cost savings and efficiencies associated with operating fewer aircraft types. It will also help American focus on flying more advanced aircraft as we continue to receive new deliveries of the Airbus A321neo and the Boeing 737. They're receiving deliveries of the Boeing 737 Max. 
Okay. And 787 family. We had to mention 737 Max someplace. In the show, yeah. Right? <laughs> With these requirements, uh, Americans' narrow-body fleet becomes more simplified with just two aircraft types, including the Airbus A320 and the Boeing 737 family of jets. It will allow American to increase its operational performance through training efficiency and streamlined maintenance. And, you know, I'm curious about something with Delta. Other than their 737s, of which they have about 200, they are an all-Airbus fleet now. Mm-hmm. And yes. I'm wondering, maybe in time, over the next 10 years or whatever, maybe they will become an all-Airbus fleet. And as they retire the 737s, bring on more A320s and the A320 mm-hmm. family. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that that is true. I should just say, actually, that the 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 the, uh, the data from uh, those stories came from the airlive.net website and the airliner watch uh, websites as well. But uh, it's actually uh, looking looking at G- um, uh, obviously with the, with the notes that we've got, some of the airlines that are retiring uh, aircraft earlier. You know, when you look across the board, obviously it's the most of the four engine aircraft, the seven fours and the A three eighties that the airlines are getting rid of. 340s and um, yeah, you know when you look at Lufthansa uh, A380s, um, they're um, going to uh, retire their A380s um, by the end of this year. And what do you see? It- yeah, yeah. There's a chart. Well, six, six out of the fourteen of they're going to retire. Yeah. We we have a chart that we're looking at, and there's something consistent within all those retirements on that chart, and that consistency is every one of them is a four-engine aircraft. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair comment. Yeah. That is very true. But but just quickly, we, we touched on it, uh, I think, a few weeks ago, but don't forget some of those four-engine aircraft, briefly the 340-600 from Virgin has been new. One of those has been used on the, obviously, as we know, the, the uh, NHS flights. That's true. That is true. Yeah, yeah episode yeah. 316, that was, uh, that was uh, mentioned yeah. in, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, indeed. Uh, Carlos, you've got the next story. Yes, next story is on flightglobal.com. We do love Flight Global. And headline, quarantine scenario draws contempt from UK airline and cruise circles. So airline and cockpit crew representatives have, con- have condemned indications by UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson that he prepares to introduce <laughs> quarantine measures for inbound passengers to the UK. Uh, Boris Johnson spoke on the 10th of May, outlining conditional steps towards easing lockdown imposed on the country in March following the coronavirus outbreak. Drink away, guys. To prevent reinfection from abroad, uh, he said that I'm serving notice that it will soon be time with transmission significantly lower to impose quarantine, he said, on people coming into this country by air. Johnson uh, added that the government would not hesitate to put on the brakes if the situation deteriorated. Carrier Association Airlines uh, and UK Pilots Association Union Balpa, however, have sharply criticised the possible introduction of a 14-day quarantine period. he said that we are all, including government, need to adapt to the new normal, uh, says Airline Chief uh, Tim Abelslade. But closing off air travel in this way is not the way to achieve this. Ministers are effectively telling people they can no longer travel for the foreseeable future, and airlines will respond to that by grinding their operations. Balpa has expressed uh, scepticism over the mooted quarantine of passengers, adding that it is seen neither a scientific basis 
the proposal nor any risk assessment for crew's health. The commercial impacts, like other aspects of proposition, uh, proposition have uh, not been thoroughly thought through, it adds. Alper General Secretary Brian Scrutton says the uh, union is seeking details on the government's plan for commercial aviation, saying there are too many questions, open questions, and quarantine proposals will put even more pressure on the industry. Airlines UK has been urging government support for the industry, including extension of job retention initiatives and deferral of air passenger duty, air navigation charges and other fees. The Board of Airline Representatives in the UK, which represents carriers serving the country, says a considered plan would need to replace any quarantine measures. Flying can only recommence in any meaningful way once the 14-day self-isolation period is uh, superseded by a carefully coordinated and internationally harmonised approach, says Bar UK Chief Executive Dale Keller. Such an approach, he says, would incorporate a series of multi-layered and more effective measures uh, to target and mitigate risk and provide the confidence that flying is safe. Now, for me, I don't think that if I was to fly to Malta in September for the air show, if we do go... Uh, I don't think that I want to come back to the UK and then have to sit at home for two weeks just in case. Well, it depends on if there's going to be. I, I mean, because I suppose that's the mm. issue there. You're not going to get the financial support, perhaps, that, that we've been getting currently while we're all in, in lockdown. Because if you've decided to go on holiday, therefore you're going to have to factor in, essentially, um, the, the fact that you've got to spend two weeks at home unpaid. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's going to be quite, quite the decision. Yeah, yeah. That in you know, in which case, Matt, you'd have to book a week's holiday, which we have, and then book another two weeks' holiday for when you come back, possibly unpaid. Yeah, yeah, that, mm. that, yeah. That's that's true. Mm. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna stick with uh, a sort of similar theme for the next story. And uh, uh, Rick, we're we're going back to the US uh, here uh, with crews not being able to enforce wearing masks on board. Yeah, this is an interesting article. I, I, I actually enjoyed reading this, but I can kind of see where things are going and uh, coming from here. But the article from uh, Reuters basically says, uh, U.S. airlines tell crews not to force passengers to wear masks. Uh, the top three U.S. airlines have told their flight attendants not to force passengers to comply with their new policies requiring face coverings. Just encourage them to do so, according to employee policy uh, reviewed by Reuters. Uh, American Airlines, Delta Airlines, and United Airlines have told employees that they may deny boarding to the gate. Uh, they may deny boarding at the gate to anyone not wearing face coverings and are providing masks to passengers who do not have them, the three carriers told Reuters. Uh, inside the airplane, enforcement becomes more difficult. One on board, once on board and off the gate, the face covering policy becomes more lenient. Uh, the flight attendant's role is informative, uh, informational, not enforcement, uh, with respect to the face covering policy. Uh, American told its pilots in a message seen by Reuters explaining its policy, uh, which were in effect on Monday. Bottom line to its pilots, a passenger on board your aircraft who is being compliant with the exception of wearing face coverings uh, is not considered disruptive enough to trigger a threat level one response, referring to some kind of international disruption by a passenger 
excuse me, international or intentional disruption by a passenger that could cause the captain to divert the flight. American spokesman uh, Joshua Fred says American, like other U.S. airlines, requires customers to wear a face covering while on board, and this requirement is enforced at the gate while boarding. We also remain we also remind customers with announcements both during boarding and at departure. A United spokes spokeswoman also said that any non-compliance by travelers would be addressed at the gate and that flight attendants have been counseled to use their de-escalation skills on the aircraft to reseat any passengers as needed. Delta says it has a similar policy. All three airlines offer certain exemptions to young children or people with medical conditions or disabilities and where or when people are eating or drinking. If the customer chooses not to comply for other reasons, please encourage them to comply, but do not escalate further. American told flight attendants in a message on Friday that it, that it provided to Reuters. Likewise, if a customer is frustrated by another customer's lack of face covering, please use situational awareness to de-escalate the situation, it says. U.S. travel demand has fallen by about 94% in the midst of the coronavirus, coronavirus pandemic. Everybody drink. Uh, prompting carriers to slash their, their, slash their flying schedules roughly 30% of normal this month. While, or with fewer planes in the skies, some are, uh, some are flying near capacity. Uh, global airline body IATA uh, came out last week in favor of passengers wearing masks on board as debate uh, intensifies in the United States over the role that government agencies should play in mandating new safety measures for flying before a vaccine is deployed. While major U.S. airlines have individually mandated face coverings, the Federal Aviation Administration has decided to implement the requirement, and it's not clear if the agency has the authority to comply or to compel passengers to wear face masks. In a statement on Tuesday, the FAA said it would continue to encourage engage in discussions about protecting the health and safety of flight crews and the traveling public and was lean, uh, lending aviation expertise to federal public health agencies and airlines as they issue guidance for crew members, including health monitoring, screening protocols, and aircraft cleaning. Several airline union groups have called for a federal mandate on measures including mass social distancing and cleaning. Airlines are implementing policies on the on the fly with essentially no coordination or direction from the federal government, says Sarah Nielsen, president of the uh, Association of Flight Attendants, CWA, representing nearly 50,000 flight attendants and 19 airlines. We need federal requirements that mitigate risks during this pandemic and put the safety of our crews and the traveling public first. Uh, I mean, interesting. Like I said, there's a lot. There's a lot of data in there. The first thing that that sort of surprised me a little bit is I didn't realise um, that um, you know, obviously you, you, you're mandated to wear it in the airport, but that, that that changes as soon as you get on board. That that's taking me a bit by surprise. Um, but I mean, I mean, I guess there's so many questions there. It's like you know, in the fact that if somebody takes off their mask, uh, obviously you know they're not you know the, the captain is unlikely to to uh, you know trigger a level one if you like and divert because somebody's refusing to put their mask back on uh, but as a passenger i don't know how comfortable i'm going to feel about somebody refusing to wear their mask i hate wearing a mask when i go shopping but i wear one you know it's because you know i'm trying to i'm not so much trying to protect me more you know more my mum you know like w when yeah. i get home i mean it, it's 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 a funny one isn't it which is how, exactly how I felt this afternoon when I visited my nana for the first time in God knows how long. Yeah. You know, I wore a mask, 
to not to protect me, but to you know protect my nana really yeah. in a sense. And you know, if I'm traveling on an airliner, then I'm going to do my utmost to protect not only myself but everyone around me. Mm. Yeah, I love Captain Nick's approach, which is just toss them overboard. Uh, no. <laughs> we need no, that it, airlock. We need that airlock yeah. on board an air, airline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little, little red eject buttons for all the passenger seats. Yes. No, we, we, we were talking about this earlier. I'm not in the law enforcement business as a pilot. I, you know, the what happens inside the airport, that's uh, airport authority and local laws uh, problem. You know, we've got... Uh, airport police officers that belong to different organizations. And as this article is saying, up, it's up to the gate agents, but once they come onto the airplane, I am not going to divert an airplane. I'm not going to escalate a situation because a passenger decides to uh, take off his take mask. off their mask. And, you know, I'm not going to sit there and explain air, uh, air recirculation times and uh, HIPAA, 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 HIPAA filters. Um, you know, I don't know. It, it, it's just not going to be at the top of my, I got a, fl- I got a plane to fly and, and I'm going to let the gate agents and law enforcement deal with it. But uh, Micah, what, what's your take on it? Oh, he's, is he there? I think oh, Mike. Micah, Micah's turned into Dick Turpin. Oh, oh famous, <laughs> famous, uh, um, 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 whatever his name is, guy from the, Years okay, ago, this thing. is going well. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> it, Hiraman. That's the one. Sense of security. We get a false sense of security from seeing someone wearing a mask <laughs> or wearing a mask yourself. Because as we know, the mask does not help you at all if you're wearing it. It may help others. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, um, covering your nose and mouth when you sneeze kind of does the same thing. Uh, and uh, And if I touch my mask with my hands, and I touch something else, I've just infected someone else. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's more, I be, really believe, and call me crazy, the mask is more of a social thing to make people feel more comfortable, but it's not doing anywhere near what, uh, what, 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 it, what we think it does. And incl- the, uh, the, 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 the scientists at the beginning said, no, you don't need to wear a mask at all. And now we're trying to socially make the mask more acceptable, not because we know it does anything, but I think to try to open things up a bit yeah. more. Yes. Tony, one, of the fu- one of the funniest things and the most annoying things that I saw today when I was out, was I saw someone in the middle of a field, actually in a field, we're talking lots of space random, wearing a mask. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Okay. I mean, I think we'll probably leave it there. We've got one more story to go. That is with you, Micah. And then, uh, Carlos, the fastest wrapping up in history, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, <laughs> Micah, the last story is with you. I'm going to leave the mask on because I don't want to give anybody here Fair a computer enough. Yeah, virus. absolutely. Yes, yeah, you can I transmit think... it through Zoom, you know. Uh, well, yeah, it's a computer <laughs> virus that way. Anyway, you know... TJ Kim, he can't play lacrosse because COVID-19, everybody drank, took the sport away from him. (laughs) And at age 16, he can't drive alone, but he can fly. And he's turned his flying lessons into missions of mercy, bringing desperately needed supplies to rural hospitals in need. Each week, he carries gloves, masks, gowns, and other equipment to small hospitals. When he made his first delivery on March 27th to a 25-bed hospital in Luray, that's in Virginia, 
He's based in McLean, Virginia, which is right outside of D.C. He uh, marched 27th to a 25-bed hospital in Luray, Virginia. He was taken aback by the reception. They kind of conveyed to me that they were really forgotten about. Everyone was wanting to send donations to big city hospitals, he said. Esri Hospital is hunting for supplies, but it's the rural hospitals that feel forgotten. Like high school students across the country, Kim was disheartened when school and activities were shut down to slow the spread of the coronavirus. In TJ's case, the shutdown ended his lacrosse season before it ever really got started. He's a sophomore at Landon School in Bethesda, Maryland, and he brainstormed this idea with his family in McLean, Virginia, about ways to keep active and to serve the community while he had the time. They settled on Operation SOS, Supplies Over Skies. The most recent flight carried 3,000 gloves, 1,000 head covers, 500 shoe covers, 50 non-surgical masks, 20 pairs of protective eyewear, and 10 concentrated bottles of hand sanitizer to Winchester, Virginia, to help supply a hospital in nearby Woodstock. The goal, he said, is to make deliveries to all seven rural hospitals in Virginia, defined as critical access hospitals. The flights will become progressively longer. If all goes according to plan, the final flight would take him to Clintwood in far southwest Virginia. Kim's flight instructor, David Powell, was said, said he was blown away when his student first proposed the project, especially since he knew how disappointed uh, TJ had been from the cancellation of lacrosse. For TJ to be more concerned with the needs of others in his melancholy state just reiterated to me how amazing this young man is, Powell said. Kim's father, Thomas, has helped them round up supplies, the hardest part of the operation, according to his son. It was Thomas who bought TJ a flying lesson for his 15th birthday when he fell in love with the sky. After I landed, all I could think about was going back up, said TJ, who hopes to attend the Naval Academy and ultimately become, it says here, a pilot, but we know that means naval aviator. Yeah. Indeed, his fly- <laughs> Indeed, his flying is farther along than his driving. His preference for flying over driving is clear. Great story, isn't it? I love it. It's a nice feel-good, uh, feel-good end to the show. Uh, to, uh, yeah, uh, Carlos, uh, social media links, please. I'm actually going to say a great well way of building up your hours. Good but, point. Uh, yeah, social media links. So, big thanks to everyone. So, joining us uh, and, and stuff this, for this uh, show, and we're going to go on with social media links, which are, as you know, plaintalkinguk.com, all the W's dot plaintalkinguk.com. WhatsApp number, if you want to make that picture behind Matt of the A10 turn into something that you have taken a picture of, of the aviation persuasion, you can send us your pictures via WhatsApp uh, on plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. Also, don't forget you can email your uh, audio and stuff to the show and pictures podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. We love to hear from you. Send us an email. Mm. Send us a picture. We love it. Uh, why not subscribe to our YouTube channel as well if you don't already and you'll get notifications to when we go live, which is always very handy. And then you can help shape the show's conversation by joining us in the chat room each week. So if you're an audio-only downloader, Take yourselves over to YouTube and see what we do and see what we look like here in the flesh. No, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> all my hair. And uh, you can also go over to our website, uh, plaintalkinguk.com, and you can also do your shopping with Amazon, which I've done three times this week, using the Amazon link on our webpage. And uh, you can, uh, uh, it will help us to generate a little bit, little bit of um, um, income from amazon for using the link on there not much but it is a little bit and also if you want to become a patreon of the show 
which is exactly how all this gets put together each week is through the help of our patrons because you guys really absolutely 190 percent do put everything uh, that we have in the studio and outside the studio to put in the show together so if you want to become a patreon go to our website the links are on there or you can just make a one-off donation as well through paypal if you want to if you've got any money but the times are hard and we all know that things are a bit of a struggle at the moment mm. so if you've uh, not got any pennies make sure you save them for your families and your friends too right absolutely captain jeff has arrived just in time for the show to finish well done to captain jeff uh, and uh, if you've liked uh, uh, we'd love some feedback on today's episode Episode, actually so if anybody would like to get in touch podcast at plain talking uk.com it was awful it uh, was awful right okay that's, uh, okay that is where we're gonna have to bring things to a close i think uh, two and a half hours it, wow everybody's done so well Ar- armando great work with the military it was nice to do something a bit different this week so thank you for your hard work on that and captain rick what a legend captain rick and uncle micah where do we start with you just you know love you to bits man anytime mate yeah hey guys thank you so much thank you for having me this has been fantastic uh i loved it loved the show thank you guys very 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 much say goodbye carlos so from me carlos here in my studio from matt in the ptuk studios from micah in his studios over in maine from rick over in his studios and from armando in his studios from me have a great weekend take care all the best stay safe everyone and bye bye everyone see you later